0: with Columbine and the reason people don't want to touch it is the same way reason that people don't want to touch the mess this country's in today because where do I start? Who do I go after? Who do I prosecute? Yeah. How do I turn this around? At Columbine, just about everybody was a co-conspirator, even the so-called victims. Ladies and gentlemen, The overwhelming theme of Columbine is a lustful relationship between the military intelligence sector of the military and the Christian ministries and the Satanism that envelops both those entities. Columbine was a Satanic sacrifice. It was a sacrifice to Satan. How do you get people to want to believe that the shooting only happened over the span of 45 minutes on April 20th when the fact is that the whole incident lasted about a day. How do you get people to do that and make them want to believe your official version of events?
1: Mind control.
0: You got it. I knew right away when I wasn't hearing from people and I started calling people and I couldn't get through to them, they couldn't get through to me, I thought... Let's let it rest for a while. Let the government get obsessed with somebody else. You know, I'm 46 years old. I'm not going to be afraid of this government anymore. I'm sick of it. You know, I'm sick of some undercover cop showing up telling me, you know, oh, you better be careful. I just don't care anymore.
1: And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio with your host, Tim Benall. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Benal of BenalofAmerica.com with another edition of BOA Audio Season 7, as well as the 200th episode of BOA Audio. In light of this historic occasion, we have brought back one of the most discussed guests ever on the program, making his long-awaited return to BOA Audio I'm talking about the enigmatic William Zabel. In Communicado, since his original appearance on the program back in 2009, William Zabel has re-emerged, and he's going to provide us with an update on his whereabouts over the last three years, and then we are going to pick up right where we left off in April of 2009 by digging into the Columbine Conspiracy. In this nearly two-and-a-half-hour-long conversation, we are going to rip the lid off of this bizarre story and gain even further insights into what William believes happened in Littleton, Colorado, in April of 1999. We are going to discuss how and why the conspiracy began, as well as how the events of the school shooting really unfolded plus suspicious details from witness testimonies which suggest the official version of events is patently false. Along the way, we're going to learn about the Columbine connections to Evangelical Christians, harp death education programs, and the actresses Sharon Stone and Dana Plato, plus many, many more truly odd aspects of this story. Altogether, it is the ultimate and long-thought-to-be-impossible sequel to one of the most talked-about episodes in the storied history of this program as William Zabel makes his triumphant return to BOA Audio. For those of you who are unfamiliar with William K. Zabel, allow me to provide you with a little background on him. William K. Zabel has been a graphic designer since 1996, working mostly with post-production graphics for television and film. He has also worked as an actor in a variety of TV shows and films, including The Adventures of Fort Fairlane, Perry Mason, and The Father Dowling Mysteries. He played a doctor in the entirely Denver-based film Nomads. Zabel has spent 20 years doing political research into government corruption, murder, mind control, and government waste and abuse. He has researched abuse by military and civilian law enforcement, including the Panama Invasion, Waco, Ruby Ridge, the Oklahoma City Bombing, as well as the Columbine Massacre and Virginia Tech School shooting. He has also researched many paranormal events, including strange happenings at the Denver International Airport, hauntings in local Denver buildings and historical sites, and has spent time with his UFO friends, some from MUFON, Staring up at the sky at night. His website is www.columbineconspiracy.com. Pretty simple, all one word. Columbineconspiracy.com. Check it out. And with all that said, let's get down to business, my friends, and rock and roll. This interview was recorded on June 7th, 2012. William Zabel, talking about the Columbine Conspiracy in his triumphant return to BOA Audio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of BOA Audio. This is not just any edition of the program, though, folks. This is the 200th episode of Banal of America Audio. Stunning. We've made it 200 shows. And we have just a tremendously special guest here for the big 200th program. He has probably been talked about at the end of the show, more than any guest we've ever had on the program, his episode has been referenced by so many people who talk to me, who write to me, even randomly, you know, I still get emails from people asking about our guest, mentioning how fantastic that program was. So, after a long search for him. He disappeared on us. We couldn't find him. And uh I was concerned, the BOA audio listeners were concerned. I wasn't getting any response to phone calls or emails for for years. Finally this spring we had uh, the break in the case that we've wanted for so long and you know, it all comes together here for the 200th episode. It is really a tremendous thrill to welcome him back onto the program. Ladies and gentlemen, William Zabel has returned to BOA Audio. William, welcome back.
0: Thank you for having me back.
1: I don't, like I said uh, before we started the show, I don't even know if you realize how talked about the program that you were on here with us was and the uh, the subsequent disappearance. So I guess like talk about where have you been the last three years? People have been wondering. People have been Writing to me personally, and I never said this on the program. I was concerned that you that you were gone. I was concerned that someone had taken you out, or or something had happened to you, because that's how hard you were to reach. And I mean, I have your phone number and and your email address, and I was in pretty good contact leading up to the original conversation. But then it was just like you vanished on us and uh, spooked a lot of us out. So where have you been, William? Uh, you know, give us an update on what's going on.
0: Well, for me, I I never went anywhere. Um been working hard the past few years. I had, you know, family problems, had deaths in the family. Um, As far as being able to contact people like yourself and others, I didn't get emails. I didn't get phone calls. Um, I know I've had trouble with the email system, both at my Comcast and my website. A lot of times people will try to call me and they would get a hold of me later because I was able to meet them in person because they live here in Denver, and they'd say, Bill, we called you, we got something new on Columbine, they found a new news article or they found you know, somebody who knew somebody who went to school there, and I'll say, I never got your phone call. And they said, well, we called and it was dead air. It never went to the message machine. So I would call my own home phone just to make sure, and I'll (laughs) say, it's working just fine. It it spooked me, too, but, I, I, you know, I've been researching long enough to know that government will screw with you like this. And it's not just government. There's a lot of private entities out there that somebody can go to and pay them to do this stuff, too. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are companies that, private enterprises that do psychological warfare type stuff. They play games like this, you know. And so I chalked it up to, well, I hit a nerve with somebody, and after a while, I was like, well, I didn't get your email, so I thought, well, Tim's doing other shows. That's fine. You know, maybe people didn't like the show or whatever, and so I thought, well, that's fine. I mean, you know, if people want to hear other stuff, you know, I thought, well, I'll just keep doing the research, and, you know, if there's more stuff I find, I'll just wait for him to call and, and see. And other people couldn't get through to me either. There, were, I've been on a lot of talk radio shows, and other people couldn't get through to me either. Um, and I, and I was always like, well, I never got your email, I'm sorry, you know. And <laughs> yeah. finally it was like this last year, people who couldn't get a hold of me, all of a sudden were able to get through, but a lot of them were calling my Verizon cell phone because I finally posted up on Facebook, and people were like, oh, there he is, and he's got another f- phone number, so they were calling my cell phone, I'm getting calls from these talk radio people on my cell phone, I'm like, well, you can email me or call me at home. I don't mind that. And they're like, we can't get through to you. You know, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's, uh, people been having that trouble. That's for sure. I had, uh, one contact up in Nebraska and she would call me and I'd pick up the phone. I'd see her name and it would be nothing but dead air and I'd go hello and nothing would be there and I'd hang up. She'd call back. I'd pick up the phone again. There was nothing. It was like dead air.
1: Oh, jeez. That would drive me crazy. Oh, I know. <laughs> Oh, God. Well, you're back now, and and we're back in touch. So odd that it all came together through Facebook. Uh, one of the listeners mentioned that they saw you on Facebook, and I was like, that can't be him. <laughs> he vanished. That's impossible. He's not on Facebook, and there you are. So, uh, you know, we've, we've all come together here. I'm excited to have yeah. you back well, that, after all these years. Yeah,
0: and that's one of the reasons I put up the Facebook page, because people couldn't get a hold of me at home. They couldn't even get a hold of me by email. Uh, there were some people, the email got kicked back or you know, they would send it and they wouldn't get it kicked back, but they would never get a response from me. And then they'd go through Facebook, and I'll say, "Why well, I never got your email? I don't know what's going on."
1: Yeah, well, it's funny. I'll be honest. I mean, if it wasn't, if if if, if something bad hadn't happened to you, my other thought was that, like, I think William doesn't like me. Maybe he, maybe he <laughs> yeah. was pissed about that show, even though everyone loved it. Maybe he yeah. thinks I'm some kind of clown. So I'm glad oh, that uh, I, no, love show, I love the show and I love
0: your website. Um you know i the thing is is i've been a victim of conspiracies before real world conspiracies, nothing big involving you know big time government or anything like that, but you know we all remember growing up there was some bully in the schoolyard that would push us, and the teacher wouldn 't do anything, and the other kids would laugh and you begin to think that people were conspiring against you. I had crap like that when I went to a christian school i think i I told you in the email about you know i'm basically i've got my own i' started my own World War Three against, you know, evangelical Christians and Christians, period, in America. You know, I'm tired of them ripping off little old ladies and stuff. But I went to a Christian school, and I saw the conspiracy firsthand. When kids get it out for you because you're different and the teachers look the other way, you will learn what the essence of a conspiracy is, because they do exist. You know, we even have laws on state and federal law books about conspiracies. So I always tell people... If you don't understand what a conspiracy is, talk to someone who's been a victim of one, whether it be a getting beat by a cop while other cops watch or a business partner cleaning you out and, you know, nobody will do anything to help you, the law, lawyers, nobody will help. When you've been in that position where you're helpless and nobody will help, believe me, you'll understand the true definition of a conspiracy.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of conspiracy, of course, uh, what your claim to fame is is this Columbine conspiracy and uh i still cite the episode uh to this day when people ask me about some of the more really wild and and wildly entertaining editions of the program because that one was just something else mm-hmm. entirely and i loved it honestly i'm not not this is not even like that's not even sarcasm or anything i mean i thought it was fantastic it's one of the best episodes we've ever done that's why we have it here for the 200th show I guess maybe we should bring people up to speed on sort of, uh, the overview of, of what you think went down here and we'll sort of get into what you found out in the last three years. So I guess sort of give us a thumbnail on what, what the conspiracy is, if you will.
0: Okay, uh, uh officially we, you know, we know we've been told, let me recap that for maybe yeah. somebody listening who's new. Uh, authorities in this case, Jefferson County as well as state of Colorado say that Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold caused Columbine on April 20th, and they killed 12 students, one teacher, and injured 25 others before they killed themselves in the library, the school, a little bit after noon on April 20th. Uh, they, authorities further claim that nobody in the school or community or law enforcement had any clues to what these two were going to do. That's the official story. Yeah. Now, for the true story, And like I said, I don't have every piece of the puzzle, but i got enough of the big pieces that the small pieces don't even matter anymore. The truth is, is that plenty of people, both in the school, government, and the community, knew this shooting was going to happen. That's evidenced by not only the lawsuits, but by the witness statements made by students and even their parents to law enforcement authorities that, They knew this was going to happen, including the school president who, uh, it was just about two years ago he came out and he was interviewed by the local news. They had some big whipty-doo at Columbine to celebrate April 20th. It's creepy. I mean, these people celebrate it like it's a birthday party or something. I just, I get creeped out when these people Instead of just having a sorrowful reminder saying, here's what happened on April 20th, let's hope we learn from it, they almost, like, celebrate it down there. It's real creepy, and i got a chapter in my book that discusses the creepiness of these people. But to give you an idea of where I've come now in the past three years, i spent a lot of time investigating not just the government. I know what ATF and FBI are both capable of. We've seen it at Ribby Ridge and Waco. But the evangelical families control that school now for those of you listeners who are not real up on public schools for the most part public schools don't have any use for any type of religion they want to keep it separate but i found out just in the past three years i always suspected it but the last three four years i've been able to really dig into it and the parents pretty much directed how that school would be rebuilt after the shooting they were there on the scene they, uh, one of the parents, uh, one of the ladies there is an architect, uh, redesigned the school. And I really had a big problem with the parents being so involved, uh, with that school the way they, they were. Now, I will, I will tell you this, uh, there's research I've gotten from other people who do a lot more into the relationship, and it's a very secret relationship between government and evangelical Christians And the U.S. military, and most people don't know this, but the U.S. military has always been an extreme right-wing organization with a lot of, of Catholic and Christian ties. Now, people might say, okay, Bill, that's fine, but what does it have to do with Columbine? I urge your listeners, if they come to Denver, to go drive through Littleton and stop and talk to the families. Ask every family, Hey, Ma, Pa, what do you do for a living? Oh well, um, mom works at Lockheed and, and Dad's retired naval intelligence or dad's retired Air Force intelligence. Then you go to the next family, you find out the father was in the NSA, the mother worked for the FBI, and go all the way up and down those streets, you will find very few families that work in civilian occupations. Uh I was told this by a guy in the military, and I don't remember if I mentioned on the last show, but he said that the Columbine community is what is known as a safe community, just like the government has safe houses for their snitches and and people who are witnesses going into the witness protection program, they also have safe communities. And there was a book on mind control years ago written by George Picard, and he spoke of one up in Oregon that researchers found and it was associated with the CIA and mind control, but it was all military families that lived in this little town all by themselves. They owned every business in the town. They owned all the homes in the town. There were no civilians that were just auto mechanics and secretaries. It was all military.
1: Now, let me stop you for one moment. Was Now, was Klebold and Harris then, are their families connected with the government too? Or are they, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Su- Susan, Cle- uh, Susan Klebold, her uh, main name was Yakinov look it up sometime. Her uh, uncle is is an Abramoff, not Jack Abramoff, but another Abramoff. And that family does military construction, military bases. That's the only kind of construction on her dad's side of the family that they do. They, they do restoration on military bases, runway construction, yeah. all that type of stuff. Klebold, Thomas Klebold, he's lied so many times about what he does for a living, I know what he does. He works for the FBI. He was there on the scene. And by the way, I sent you an email a little bit ago today with the video with the minivan. Yes. And the guy on the passenger side is Thomas Coybold, and the reason I know that for people who ask, and I know people have criticized that video, because I met the guy personally. That's how I know it's him. Now, I hadn't seen that video yet when I met him, but he was at, when he came up the stairs at the federal courthouse in Denver. We were all up there. A bunch of us were. Uh, there was people from different alternative news media and stuff trying to get answers out of the families. And Susan walked up first, and you know I offered my condolences. And he walked up and he took his sunglasses off, and I, I said, I'm very sorry, Mr. Klebold, for your loss. I, I said, you know, would you be willing to to talk to us about you know what your son was up to, or if you were surprised or you had an inkling he says no my lawyer says I can't talk but thanks anyway and walked on well it was about oh, almost a year later I got that video and as soon as I saw it I just about fell over so I took it to some kids in the Columbine area and one of them happened to be a girl who had been in the Klebold household she knew the Klebold's very well she hung out with Dylan and she goes oh my god that's Thomas Klebold and I said thanks for the you know identification i said (laughs) what would he be doing on the property and she goes well you know he's a federal agent don't you and i said no i said he claims he works for a geophysical outfit in downtown denver she goes oh no she goes that's a cover so a friend of mine went down there he's a private detective here in denver and uh, he went up to this geophysicist place and he says you couldn't believe the crap story they gave him that Klebold was only on a consult a consulting fee there and that he didn't actually have an office there well pfft, anybody can put that together and figure out government front yeah. that's what they do for these guys that work in the ATF FBI CIA is if they're out in public they always give them some front cover like you know they own a barbecue shack or they're a consultant to some law firm or some I mean you can find books on Amazon full of stories like that yeah you
1: know. Okay, so to jump back to the conspiracy, then you're, mm-hmm. you you established here, or you're saying that uh, you know Columbine is is sort of like a, a CIA safe town is what you is how you set us up here. So then, where yep. where are we going? Let's take the let's military take the slash
0: CIA. It's an intelligence community safe community, as they call it.
1: Okay. How does this this imbroglio erupt then? How does this this conspiracy unfold?
0: Well, this thing had been planned for a lot longer. Than what the media tells you and what Jefferson County tells you. If you dig back into the documents, including news articles, you'll find out the shooting was originally planned in 1991. And what had happened was a bunch of kids got caught down there back in 91, and the plan was exactly like what Harrison Klebold uh, pulled on April 20th. Also, the actual plan for Harris and Klebold go back to 1997, and Klebold was the one who originated this plan in 96, but they got together in 97 to actually plan it. Now, for those that claim that the van arrest was the reason for their massacre at Columbine, well, the van arrest occurred in 98, so how do you explain Klebold's planning going back to 96? Well, this goes back to the adult that trained Harrison Klebold. Uh, Kle- Dylan Klebold told a Winter Park ski instructor, who I talked to, that him and his buddies—he didn't say Klebold, he didn't say Harris—he said buddies planned to blow up Columbine High School on April 20th. Now he even gave the year, '99. Well, if he's planning this in '96, why the hell would you wait three years? I mean, if you had a beef against some cops you know, why not just go out and get your capper and start doing business? Why, why a specific date and a specific year? Yeah. Well, there was a couple of things going on in 99. As you know, we had the concealed weapons bill. It was very popular among a lot of Coloradans who were tired of getting home invaded and they are tired of being shot at stoplights and everything else by gangbangers whacked out on crack. That thing would have passed if it hadn't been for the Columbine shooting, but there was something else going on. They had, and I found this out just two years ago, they had a secret NATO conference here, and they were discussing what we all now know as Denver is the backup capital to the United States, and that's public knowledge now. They had two unsolved homicides occur at DIA the same day the Columbine shooting happened. I found this out from the Denver Police Department. The two individuals who were killed have never been identified. They had no ID on them. Fingerprints didn't come back to anything. Nobody could identify these two, and they were found in a sub-basement at DIA where civilians were not allowed. Now, a source that I found who used to be in the ATF, and he quit because of some of the corruption going on here in Colorado with the ATF, he said those two were mid level NATO officials, and he said that they what the, what they were trying to do and what they wanted to do, and they only partially succeeded was that they were trying to turn Denver basically into a military encampment now it gets crazy and it sounds crazy, but i 've seen a lot of these NATO documents where uh, they when they come up with these ideas for military uh, facilities and backup facilities, and as everyone knows, Denver is a backup capital. They tried to get all the businesses and the everyone locally on board, and it wasn't working. Uh, there's just so many people here that know about the New World Order that they're saying, you people need to go away. This is America. Get out of here. I think that Columbine covered for what they were doing, but there was something else that was going on too. And like I said, Columbine wasn't caused for one reason. Anytime the government goes out to do something crazy like this, they want to get a package deal. You know, they want to package everything. Uh, the other thing that was going on, and this is kept very secret, but yet it's right out in public, and this is one of the reasons why I have my own little personal war going against Christians now. And I'm ordering in my own, you know, you know, just bringing people in and saying, Let's go look at these people that claim to be Christians that run these big churches like down the Columbine area because they're, they're something else. One of the things that happened after April 20th, and, and you'll read about it on the Internet, you'll hear about this, but it was going on before April 20th, was literally even students were admitting Columbine was a satanic sacrifice. It was a sacrifice to Satan.
1: That's something you said on the last program, that this was, right. this now, was had some kind of like ritualistic, uh, there was some kind of ritual bloodletting involved here with this. Oh,
0: yes. There were several Christian groups who are not very Christian, and I found this out afterwards. In fact, I got thrown out of one church, and they called the cops on me about two years <laughs> ago, and uh, I found out that the pastor is still currently with Naval Intelligence, and all of the kids... In this congregation, they have a youth group, and they have these different groups. They have Job's Warriors. Um, they have uh, the Sword of Christ. These are all groups. If you type in the name into the search engine on Google, uh, all of the leadership of those groups go back to that little ten area where Columbine is. Hmm. What they are actively doing is they are actively recruiting Christian teenagers out of Columbine High School, Highlands Ranch, and the other schools, into the military intelligence sector to use them as spies overseas. Now, Charles Grassley had... Uh, the senator had come up with a, a plan to investigate all these big ministries, and he actually went through with it 2006, 2007, and part of 2008. I contacted him, and his people emailed me and told me that the investigation was always much bigger than that. They were looking at undue influence on the U.S. military by the ministries. And the fact that the ministries were trying, uh, the ministries were working with military intelligence, but at the same time, it was kind of like one of those things where you know, you think that you're using somebody to do something and they're actually using you too. Yeah. The military was trying to use the ministries to spy overseas on various governments and private entities, while at the same time, the ministries were working their way into the military to try and get recruits to get their numbers up in the church, to try and get money flowing in, those kinds of things. Uh, I found this involved in the Columbine area. This was another reason for this big explosion of these ministries after April 20th. And when I went in to the one church and I found out what they were doing, I mean, I told the guy, I said, you're trying to influence the U.S. military. I said, you're also recruiting teenagers from Columbine and other high schools to go into the military I said since I've been here I've seen guys coming in and out with U.S. government plates on their cars I said it sounds to me like you're running an intelligence operation and for a pastor you should have heard this guy I mean he swore worse than a truck driver (laughs) and he says you get the hell out of here I don't want to hear this crap this conspiracy crap And I said really is it a conspiracy I said there's a number of kids that have just left that admitted that they were being recruited through your church into the military. I said, tell me that's not true. Well, a lot, a lot of times the military goes to churches and recruits people. I said, no, they don't. they got recruiting stations. I said, "Anytime time the military recruits outside of a recruiting station, other than just going into your high school and handing out pamphlets, they've got an ulterior motive. And I said, I know because I've seen it before. And, boy, he got mad, Saul. So, I mean, I basically got the boot. The overwhelming theme of Columbine is a lustful relationship between the military intelligence sector of the military and the Christian ministries and the Satanism that envelops both those entities. Satanism is very big in the big Christian ministries, and we also know it's very big in the military. And they create these incidents, like Columbine, to galvanize people and say, oh, look at that shooting, kids died, you, 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 you need to, to come to Christ, you need to do this, you need to do that, and you need to give me money, by the way, too. I found through looking through records from both the military, financial records, and looking through records of these big Christian ministries, that this is a big Back patting episode. They're all patting each other on the back, handing each other money, and they are. And the military is giving these ministries money to prop up their numbers to recruit kids into military intelligence, and the money is going both ways. I mean, this is like Iran-Contra. There's money going everywhere, and Columbine is directly connected to focus on the family and all those ministries down there in Colorado Springs. And my God, if I was to get involved with that. Uh, my website, I'd have to go to my own server. Between the documents and what I could tell people of that sick relationship between the Air Force Academy and focus on the family and other ministries down there, it, it's mind-numbing. I mean, it will blow your mind at just how corrupt this is and what they're doing with these Christian kids. Um, I've got articles related Kind of quasi to Columbine. One kid had a friend who went there in 99. Him and his sister were arrested in Iran. And he still has never explained to me how two teenagers end up in the middle of Iran with backpacks on walking across the desert. That just doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, that's weird.
0: And I suspect that him and his sister were working for the CIA or the military. They were spying on Iran's facilities when they got caught. And I've got other articles, got government documents from foreign governments of these kids that have all been picked up. Uh, they're not all from Colorado or from the Columbine or, or Colorado Springs area, but they're from other areas around the country where these evangelical conclaves are. And they're all getting busted by foreign governments for spying. Now, of course, our government says, oh, no, they were just some tourist. I'm like, you think so? Or do you think it's possible that they're working for the military, considering they found their way into an area of of those countries that civilians can't go, and especially foreign citizens can't go? Yeah. You know, so to give Columbine the overriding purpose, why it happened, is multiple. One. Satanic sacrifice to Satan. Two, to galvanize the evangelical community and Colorado to get behind all this nonsense of let's eliminate guns, let's have uniforms in the school, uh, let's get the kids to start volunteering their time so they don't think about shooting schools. Well, go pull documents from any school district. What are they doing to get these kids to volunteer? Take a wild guess. Go work with your local police officers. Go work with the, the FBI and the ATF to, to, uh, you know, spy on your neighbors and stuff. Believe me, long before Homeland Security and all that crap came about, they were already doing that stuff with the high school kids. And they were using these school shootings as the excuse to do it. Wow. To spy on kids, to spy on their parents. I, I've got so much stuff, I've had to put it on Blu-ray so I can have it all in one spot. I've got one Blu-ray disc just full of this stuff, PDA documents. And by the way, for your listeners, anybody that wants the Columbine stuff, don't pay Jefferson County $3,000 for all the documents because that's what they want. You can get it from me from, for free. Jefferson County can't touch you because the federal courts already ruled that those documents belong to the taxpayers.
1: Nice, nice. Now, when we talked originally, one of the big things that you said that kind of became like a signature of the show, which was just so unbelievable when I heard it, was that you, you were under the impression in 99, I mean in 2009 when we talked, that the shooting incident, that whole thing began actually the day before and was actually a hostage situation that then erupted in the media the next morning. Have you stay, are you you still of that opinion or have you adjusted that?
0: Oh, I'm still that opinion, and if you look in your email, you'll see a news article that pretty much proves it. Uh, Jefferson uh, Rocky Mountain News hit it in the back of their paper, uh, but it's in your email, the original news article. And according to this news article, I'll, it's a real short one, so I'll read it for your listeners real quick, so they okay. get an idea of what Jefferson County did that day, or what they did afterwards during the investigation. Okay, the title of the article is, Investigators Destroyed Columbine Timeline, and this is an article, and by the way, CBS News actually started this um, about three months after the Columbine shooting, CBS, uh, uh, one of their executives sent a letter to Jefferson County asking them about the timeline, considering that their news footage showed that there was serious questions about when this shooting started. And under the article, the, the headline I just read, it says, JEPCO Sheriff Stone Revealed Its Existence in a Letter to CBS. Okay? Now, here is what an assistant attorney interviewed for the article said. He said, an assistant attorney has acknowledged that a timeline of, quote, events leading up to the Columbine shooting was destroyed by investigators. Okay. Then he further states when they ask him to clarify that for the article, he said, quote, a detailed timeline of movements, associations, and actions by the perpetrators leading up to and during the crime starting months before the incident has been recreated.
1: Yeah. So what does that tell you?
0: That tells me that their well first of all that tells me their official report is, is BS. Uh, it also tells me because uh, Mike Guerrero, who, has it, who is an investigator for Jefferson County, who was supposedly watching Harrison Klebold and prepared a warrant, uh, he said that he had no knowledge that Harrison Klebold, other than the cl- complaints by the Browns leading up to the shooting, were making pipe bombs. But... A source that I have in Jefferson County says that's pure BS. They had an undercover cop on Harrison Klebold the entire time, going back over two years before the shooting, that they knew exactly where they were going, what they were doing. Also this source I have says that there were a number of kids involved in planning this shooting that they met up in the mountains at a ranch where they practiced blowing up pipe bombs and shooting at targets. That's also in the documents, by the way. The government documents that were released, they were forced to release the documents stating that eyewitnesses, students in the community, told them about this ranch where they were popping off the pipe bombs and everything. And It wasn't just Harrison Klebold. There was a number of kids and, quote, a number of adults. That's That's in the documents. Now, getting back to the timeline itself, the fact that they admit that they changed the associations. Now the associations would be what? Well, who they were associating with. Remember what they said. Harrison Klebold had no connection to the Trenchcoat Mafia. The Trenchcoat Mafia had no connection to them. You know, it was just Harrison Klebold. Bull crap. They were a member of that group. That, that, that group itself had been threatening Columbine since 1997. Chris Morris, Joe Stair, Robert Perry, all those kids had been making threats. Robert Perry was thrown out the year before in 1998 for attempting to rape a student in the gymnasium. That's in the documents. And guess who got Robert Perry thrown out of school? Dave Sanders, the teacher that was shot and killed. The teacher that they left in there and purposely left in there that they didn't want to go in and get. That is another reason why they destroyed the associations in the timeline. They did not want to associate Robert Perry with Dave Sanders and the, and the uh, attempted rape in the gymnasium. Because once you put Robert Perry back into it, he becomes a suspect. And do you know why he was a suspect in 1999? A Denver police officer who was interviewing students interviewed Robert Perry the moment he walked out of that school with a bunch of students. He was an ex-student. He had no business being in that school, but several students have said that he was in the science classroom where where, uh, Dave Sanders died. Why was he not immediately arrested for being in the school? Once again, that's why they had to change the associations of Harrison Klebold in the timeline. They had to disconnect Robert Perry from Harrison Klebold and especially from Dave Sanders and that rape and the attempted rape incident 98. They had to. Because if you don't change any of that and you keep that evidence in there, now you have other suspects and that is why they did it. And that's why they had to make those trench coat mafia kids deny that they even knew Harrison Klebold. Because, first of all, the, the other kids had more of a motive to, to kill than anybody. Harrison Klebold, I mean, yeah, they were punks. They were nobodies. But Robert Perry, Joe Stair, Chris Morris, they all had more motive than Harrison Klebold. Every one of those kids that I just mentioned had been thrown out of multiple classes by teachers for writing all kinds of bizarre, stupid essays and reports about, you know, the Gothic underworld and dying and, and, and death and killing people and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, Harris wrote a report about the video game Doom. Big deal. I, I write stuff like that all the time, too. I, I talk about why one game is better than another. That doesn't make you a killer.
1: Exactly. So why do you think these two kids ended up being the fall guys for the whole the conspiracy? Whole because they were conspiracy. chosen
0: to be fall guys. They were dumb. They weren't very smart. They probably had no idea they were being set up. None. Neither one of them were that bright. I don't care what anybody says. I, I've read their essays. I, I've read their paperwork. Those two, those two. Those two were dumber than Lee Harvey Oswald. At least Lee Harvey Oswald figured out he was a dupe in the end. These kids couldn't even figure that out. <laughs> you know. And their parents were the ones that killed them. How do you mean? Her, H- Wayne Harris. Worked at Plattsburgh Air Force Base in the 70s and 80s. He worked on flight simulators. Do you know how flight simulators came around? Due to the CIA's mind control programs with virtual reality. They were doing virtual reality back in the 70s, and and Harris was involved in that. When he came to Denver, he got a job with flight safety data systems. They make simulators. Well, who funds flight safety data systems? Look it up on the Internet. They get grants from the CIA. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Klebold, Thomas Klebold, FBI. Yeah. So now you know how the parents got involved. But they're not the only parents involved. The, the, like I said, going back to the evangelical Christians, the, the parents of the kids who died, every one of those parents, and I've had arguments with these parents, and once again that's why I'm pretty much persona non grata down there. There are some people that still talk to me down there and everything, and they they understand why I push on the parents of the victims so hard. Every one of these kids that died told their mom and dad, read it in their books, go get books written by Daryl Scott, Bernals, all of them. They will say, Mom, Dad, I'm going to die on April 20th at Columbine High School. Cassie Burnell said that. Rachel Scott said that. Uh, the other kid that was killed in the library that was going into the Army on the week before the Columbine shooting, Uh, And I can't remember his name now. He was, oh, uh, Stephen Kernauer said, I'm going to make you famous next week on April 20th. Let me sign your notebooks. And everybody's like, what? You can find this scattered throughout the witness statements and the books written by parents. Those parents knew those kids were going to die. Every one of those parents. First of all, how in the world? And I don't know if you know anything about the publishing business, but how in the world did those parents get books out so quick? They all had books out within three or four months of the Columbine shooting. How do you do that? It it takes forever just to get a galley draft. And these parents admit they wrote wrote these books themselves and sent them to publishers. I mean, I've done that, and it it takes a publisher three or four months just to get down to the bottom of the stack to get to your manuscript.
1: Well, maybe they were considered hot topics because of the news of of the tragedy. Now,
0: how come, I'm sure
1: there's other researchers, but you seem to be the one who really is is sort of carrying the torch here for for this conspiracy. How come it hasn't really picked up the steam that you would think it has? Because, like, when I first heard your stuff, I was like, this is... This is wild. I haven't heard anyone saying this at all. It, it, it seems like it's a, it's a almost an unspoken conspiracy, except for you, who is really still driving the train on this.
2: Yeah, I,
0: I think the answers are are multiple. Uh, for one thing, um, if you don't know anybody in the Columbine community like I did before the shooting, you never could get your foot in the door down there. Yeah. I mean, I had a friend. I didn't even know she lived down there. I went to college with her in the early nineties. And uh after the Columbine shooting, she called me. It was uh, that night, in fact, and she goes, oh, did you hear about this? And I said, yeah, I know there's school shooting. And she goes, oh, no, Bill. She goes, you need to talk to my daughter. And, and I, she put her daughter on the phone. She goes, I graduated last year, but she goes, Bill, this is nothing new. Everybody knew this was coming. And I'm like, what? And she goes, oh, yeah. And she started giving me names and stuff. And I said, well, can I talk to those people? And she goes, well, let me call them first. And that's how I got started. Now, if you were a researcher that came in out of the cold and didn't know anybody down there, forget it. They'd they just shut the door in your
2: face. Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, that's how I got involved in it. And and other researchers, even if they did get a whiff of something, um, a lot of the parents would be like, oh, it was just Harrison Klebold. Oh, by the way, give us money uh, so we can sell Bibles to somebody or give Bibles. I mean, that's the thing they turn on researchers. There's a bunch of people that went down there. Uh, including John Quinn of NewsHawk, uh, they start pulling the evangelical trip on them. If you'd ask them, did you hear about other suspects, they'll say, well, have you heard about Jesus Christ? They <laughs> turn it around on you, you know. Whereas me, I grew up in a Christian school. I know how these people act, and I know how to hit them off the pass, you know. And I'd say, leave the evangel- evangelical stuff for somebody else. Tell me what happened. Uh, some people would walk away. Other people would get the message and say, well, yeah, we heard about other suspects or, you know, I was in school in this area and I heard shooting when the government says shooting was going on somewhere else. And I started putting it together. So for researchers, for people that wonder why I'm the only one that picked up the torch, it's because I had a foot in the door to begin with. Yeah. Uh, which is a lot different than other people that come in from out of state and don't know anybody down there. And it was still difficult for me, even with that friend of mine living down there. Um, it's just still people at first were like, well, who are you and what do you want? Well,
1: you now know. you said you're, you're like persona non grata down there now. Is it like, is it that bad? Are you like pretty much.
0: It it doesn't matter walk. because I still have my sources. Yeah. I, I still have a, a woman who works for the school district, Um, I still have this friend of mine, she still lives down there and she knows a lot of parents, so even if I can't get the information directly that I need, I get it through other sources. Um, I wouldn't say completely persona non grata, I, I can still go to the Sheriff's Department and get information. Um, I can still talk to some people in the school district, some ex-teachers who were there at Columbine, but the hardcore families who either lost children or their children were injured, yeah. And and I'm and I'm not non persona grata with them because you know um, they don't want to believe in the conspiracy or whatever. They know I suspect them. That's why. No. They don't want me anywhere near them. And that's why so many of them tell their friends, don't say anything to that bill guy. He's trying to get you to admit that you knew the shooting was going to happen before April 20th. Well, if they didn't know, who cares? If I talk to him and I ask him a simple question, did anybody in your family know? No, we didn't know a thing. Oh, okay, bye, thanks. Why are they so worried about me asking questions about what they knew before April 20th unless they did? And that's why they put up the walls that's why they created this roadblock yeah but it doesn't stop me because i've got just about everything i need now i've got like i said i got the big pieces of the puzzle they're what matter the little pieces they'll come out over the next twenty years somewhere some somebody down the road's going to be sitting in a bar a former columbine student or teacher they're going to be getting drunk and they're going to say i can't take this anymore people got to know and they're going to start running their mouth and some reporter will pick up on it and that'll be that small piece that I was always waiting for. So
1: yeah, uh, have you ever been threatened for for getting so deep into this? Because this is quite the conspiracy. I mean, this is I mean, people have died. Uh, yeah, in this conspiracy. Yeah. So, uh, I but, was only you know.
0: threatened once, and believe it or not, that didn't even come from a cop. It came from a private security contractor uh, who secured the grounds for Lockheed Martin just south of the school, but they also did the security for uh, Columbine High School. And I was over in Clements Park with a couple of other guys, including a a guy by the name of Justin uh, Trouble from Arizona, who also was researching Columbine. And this guy comes flying across a lawn in this pickup, and he stops and he goes, what are you guys doing here? I said, well, it's a public park. We're talking to people about what happened on April 20th. He says, you better get the hell out of here. He says, you're going to know what trouble is. He says, believe me, Jefferson County doesn't play easy with people. And I says, is that a threat? And he goes, yeah. And he says, you'll be lucky if you make it to the jail. And everybody was looking at me like, Bill, what the hell do we do now? <laughs> and I said, fine, you got an issue with it? Fine. I said, this is a public park, but if you're going to make threats, we can always go to some restaurant and talk or whatever. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Now, other threats were always very subtle. Uh, one parent told me, he goes, well, you need to be careful researching this. I said, oh, I am, and he says, you need to be careful. He repeated it, and he goes, you do know people have disappeared over this. He says, I'd hate to see you disappear. This is a parent who, by the way, uh, had some very nefarious connections. His daughter went to Columbine. He's retired Air Force Intelligence, now get this. He admitted over the phone, and I have found out since through independent sources, that he is a real estate agent who did all the deals for the Denver International Airport. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: now, you mentioned in your original correspondence with me that you've, you've come up with 50 people that have uh, died under mysterious circumstances since Columbine that were somehow yep. related to it. Is that correct?
0: Yes, I have.
1: What do you make of that? These people who to, they need to, to, to be silenced, if you
0: will? Oh, yeah, every one of these people that disappeared had uh, seen other suspects. I mean, if it was just somebody who, you know, some Columbine High School kid who already had a drug problem that two years after the shooting OD'd, which, by the way, there was a number of those, and I eliminated those as suspicious deaths simply because they had health problems and drug problems long before the shooting. So just to let your listeners know, I did eliminate people that you know, I could prove for sure it wasn't suspicious. Yeah. You know, they had already had trouble, um, you know, just people just that you know, people will die, even young people. You know, strokes, heart attacks, drug drug overdoses, they're drunk and they run a red light whatever, yeah. you know, but so beyond that. Those. Yeah.
1: But beyond that, you've you found 50, 50 yep. mysterious deaths. That's that's yep. overwhelming.
0: Yeah, the first big one was a guy by the name of Antoine Johnson. Uh, he was a friend of Michael Scholes. Um, uh They both were music producers uh, together in Hollywood before Michael Scholes moved out here. Antoine Johnson was a multi-millionaire with a lot of connections in Hollywood. He was going to put together his own investigative unit. He had already been in contact with private investigators, retired cops, all that kind of stuff. There's a couple of Rocky Mountain news articles on this. And uh, he was killed at the Crystal Rose Rental Hall. It's a place that, you know, bands rent to do con- many concerts. Uh, he was killed in the parking lot with a single shot to the head by somebody doing a drive-by. They never found the shooter. No, There was people in the parking lot that said that the vehicle had no license plates on it. Uh, a driver and someone on the passenger side, and to drive by somebody and to make a perfect headshot. And I talked to the de- uh, detective that was involved in the case, and he thought it was suspicious too. He says to make a headshot while driving by is is uh, you got to be good at what you do. Yeah. Um, he's the first one. The next one was a personal favorite of mine. I had talked to her for years before the Columbine shooting. Uh, Vicki Buckley. She was a secretary of state. a uh, very good woman. She was an incredible woman. She stood up for the second amendment, uh, concerning, you know, you know, the right to carry concealed and all that in Colorado. She was all for it. Uh, Vicki Buckley as well was going to ask the governor and the congress, the state congress, to open an investigation not that crappy stuff that the former governor, Bill Owens, did that had no law enforcement power. She actually wanted one with subpoena power. She was going to subpoena the cops. She was going to subpoena the parents in Colum- at the Columbine community, that, all that down there. Uh, she was found dead by her husband. Now, her husband, uh, Todd Newsome, uh, he was a real character. He was involved in all kinds of uh, scummy land deals in Denver. You can find on the Denver Post website now because Rocky Mountain News is gone. But he was involved in all kinds of stuff. He actually found her alive but waited three hours to call 911. <laughs> And, uh, oh, yeah, sure, her death was a big scandal. Even people in Congress wanted her husband investigated, wanted the cops to, uh, to do something about him. And, and of course, after uh, she died, he just up and disappeared, left the state. Hmm, suspicious there. Wow. So she's definitely a suspicious death. No one doubts that. I mean, the medical examiner and the cops admit that this guy waited for three hours before he called 911. That's admitted in the news article. Um, the next one is Corey Hager. Uh, his statement was uh, admitted uh, from the Jefferson County documents. Now, they claim originally that they never interviewed this student, but they did. Um, but he just has a uh, header page uh, with no statement. He was killed in a one-car car accident. Uh, in 1999. Now his sister said that he was off campus and didn't observe anything, but in the They have a what they call a matrix in the documents, and in that matrix, they have it listed of students who saw other suspects, and he is listed as having seen a suspect leaving the school grounds. That's why I leave him in there, even though later on his sister says, no, he didn't see anything, because they have him listed when he left the campus, he saw somebody with a gun leaving the campus, so... That's why I have him in there. Uh, the famous one, another famous one is Car- Carla Hawkhalter, whose daughter, Anne-Marie Hochhalter, uh was injured at Columbine, and, and is uh, 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 she can't use her legs. She's in a wheelchair to this day. Um, several people have talked to Anne-Marie Hawkhalter. I was able to talk to her for a few minutes, not very long. Uh, her father was trying to get her out of the room. It was over at the Jefferson County Open Space, and she admitted that, quote, the guy that shot at her was neither Harris nor Klebold, but was a man who was dressed, quote, like a cop or firefighter that shot at her. Weird. Uh, yeah. Now, she told her mother this. Now, her mother had had a lot of issues, uh, mental issues. She'd been in and out of mental hospitals. But the reason that I find it very suspicious that she died she went into a gun store, it was a suicide. She asked to see a gun, a thirty eight special, she loaded it, then shot herself. Now people on the surface say, Okay, fine. That it probably is a suicide. The problem I have with it is, is a couple of things. One, the guy left the counter and went into the back room. That's illegal in Colorado. When you show somebody a weapon, you have to stay at the counter with them.
1: Yeah, just to make sense that well, yeah. That's yeah. crazy, yeah.
0: Two That gun store was already under ATF review, and the ATF had taken, not control of the gun store, but they were kind of, it's kind of like when you are a fiduciary over somebody. And the ATF, because that gun store had had issues, and the guy himself that ran the gun store, that let, let her see the 38 Special, he was under indictment, and they were making, the ATF was making a deal with him at the time that this thing happened with Carla Hochalter. So... Her death is suspicious. Yes, she pulled the trigger herself. Yes, she committed suicide. But that doesn't mean that the government didn't allow her to do it. You know. Right by, right. by allowing this guy to walk away from the counter and the fact that, by the way, her autopsy's been sealed like everyone else. If it's suicide, why, why, why seal the autopsy? There's no reason to. Yeah. But they, but they sealed her autopsy and they took the footage from the surveillance camera and wouldn't let anybody see it, which, I don't know, that kind of makes sense. You don't want anybody to, to see that, but they've done that everywhere. Uh, the next one is Nicholas Kunzelman and Stephanie Hart. Uh, Stephanie Hart, uh, she saw a man, quote, with a black face mask on running through the halls of Columbine High School. When asked, she said, I couldn't recognize him as either Harris or Klebold. He looked older than high school age. Nicholas Kunzelman didn't see anybody, but the problem with Nicholas Kunzelman is he was good friends with Rachel Scott, and Rachel Scott used to work at Subway. And the local rumor is, from the kids I've talked to, is is Rachel Scott told Nicholas Kunzelman a lot about what Harris and Klebold were going to do. Now get this. They were killed at Subway. It was one shot each to the head, again, Headshots shot from the roof of King Supers, which is right across the parking lot, downward into the subway. The doors were locked. No money was taken, but the shots were made from the roof of King Supers. And I was over there a couple of days after the shooting happened. Uh, they let us get up on the roof of King Supers. I looked down there. You would have to be a professional to make that shot.
1: Yeah, and no team, way, no motivation. Like, why would... <laughs> I take it they never caught the guy who did it, right? Nope, never caught him. But, My goodness, you got to be yeah. careful out there, Bill. I'm oh, I <laughs> telling <know>. you. No. <laughs> yeah. My goodness, that that's just like five or six, but you've you've got like up to fifty people that that, that this this sort of uh, scenario is unfolded for them.
0: Mm-hmm. You've got uh, another one is Greg Barnes. Uh, who talked to Sports Illustrated, and he claims he saw Dave Sanders got shot, and he could identify the suspect, but he never said in the, in the uh, Sports Illustrated article whether it was someone other than Harrison Klebold. Uh, he was found dead. Uh, he hung himself in the basement of his parents' house no autopsy released. Teresa Miller was a teacher who was in the room with Dave Sanders. She told the Jefferson County Sheriff's Department that she did not want to talk about the suspect who uh, shot Dave Sanders. She ended up dead of cancer even though her own husband said there was never any history of cancer. It suddenly came on, boom, she was dead. Jonathan Ladd uh, was a small plane pilot who was at Columbine High School a day. He was a student. Um, he said that There were multiple suspects in the school. Uh, he, he talked about how people knew this was coming. Uh, another airplane ran into him in midair over the Highlands Ranch area. Uh, NTSB investigation was classified.
1: Now let's jump back to the day of the event because I remember when we talked about it originally and it was, (coughs) it, it turned into quite the, uh, quite the scene. So I guess take us through, we've heard the official version. Take us through the events of i guess in your in your view, April nineteenth and twentieth and then I may stop you along the way with some follow up questions as we get deeper into it, but sort of take people through this conspiracy, and you know even if they 've heard the original episode, I think we need to really dig into it even more so let 's do it
0: okay. I believe based on the evidence and the evidence is is there, uh, some of it is uh, government documents, uh, police statements where they actually write in in their own handwriting, not typed, but handwriting, they put down that they reported to Columbine High School on April 19th at 10.30 a.m. The reason that 10.30 a.m. makes sense was because there was a phone call uh, talking about a shooting. Now, that call came in at 9.45, so I think either the shooting happened at 9.30 going up into 10.30, then became a hostage situation or the phone call was an advanced phone call like what they got at Waco saying the ETFs on the way like the one at Oklahoma City. But I'll start with the possibility of the 930 to 945. On April 19th, 930, I believe that this thing started as a uh, what the police would call a quick attack gun burst, which means that the kids, uh, your perpetrators, rush the victims, and start shooting and popping off bombs. I believe based on eyewitness testimony of U.S. government as well as local police cars in Clements Park before the shooting happened that the government was there and wanted to react as a quick reaction force to the perpetrators. What happened was that the perpetrators and the government got into shooting at each other. And the cops are shooting at the, at the suspects, suspects are shooting back, and the victims of Columbine High School got caught in between them. As it progressed, the suspects barricaded themselves in the school with hostages. There are kids who have said that they could hear kids crying in other classrooms saying, don't shoot me, don't shoot me, my parents will give you anything you want, don't do it. And this went on for hours, and and there's a few scant little statements made by police officers who, they tongue-in-cheek admitted that this hostage situation went on for hours. I believe that there was a total media blackout that day for one reason, none of the phones at Columbine High School worked that day, that's been admitted, that they tried to call out on the physical landlines and they did not work. Okay, I believe me... that what happened was that, okay. and, and this, there's some, and as it progressed, They shut down all communications the government did going through that day so that kids could not call out on cell phones either, could not use computers. There is lots of stuff throughout the document. So to get us through to that night, I think that that night on April 19th, they finally had to admit something was going on because there was some stuff on the news about people being shot on April 19th, but they never said anything about who it was, where it was. So everybody probably just assumed, oh, it's another gang shooting in Denver. Uh, and and I've talked to people in the news media, and they said, well, yeah, we were getting reports of some kids being shot, and uh but we had other big news stories, so we went on the night of April 19th. So I figured that they, the media at that point was not involved in the cover-up. They just hadn't gotten any information. All yeah. they knew is somebody called in and said, you know, some kids got shot on April 19th. Now so let they me assume st- the usual.
1: Yeah. Now let me stop you here and sort of got it. dig into this a little bit, because so, cause this is the part... Uh, that I find, I guess, the hardest to to really wrap my mind around, just because you're saying that, like, all these kids who were who were in school that day on the Monday, none of them went home that night because um, they were all being held hostage. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got to be talking about hundreds of kids, right? I mean, how
0: many people were? Nineteen hundred and forty-two, to be exact.
1: So almost two thousand kids. How do you hold nearly two thousand kids hostage overnight? You know, without that eventually becoming, with the exception of you telling us this, becoming, uh, you know, getting out. I mean, that's quite the cover-up. That's a, that's a tremendous conspiracy.
0: It is a tremendous conspiracy. And how many conspiracy.
1: people do you think were involved then? I mean... Okay,
0: I mean, just, yeah. to, to hold 2,000 kids
1: hostage, you know, teenagers alone, you need a lot of people, I think, and a lot of firepower and beyond right. two but kids. You,
0: but they didn't have to hold 2,000 kids hostage because even the parents admitted that a lot of kids did not go to school on the 19th either. Over half the student body was gone on the 19th as ah. well as the 20th without explanation about why they were absent from school. So you take the number down. If you're talking over half and there's 1,900 students, you know, you're talking about a 1,000 or a little bit less. Now, the one thing you have to remember here, and people don't understand this, is unless you've ever met the children of police officers or members of the military, you don't understand how a military family operates. Um, You know, I grew up, my dad was a Green Beret, CIA, all kinds of stuff. I didn't know anything he did. I didn't want to know. He came home from Vietnam. We just didn't talk. You, you just didn't talk in the household. Right. Period. Nothing. You know, my mother didn't ask questions. I didn't ask questions. That's just the way it was. These kids at Columbine are not stupid. They're considered some of the brightest kids in Colorado. These kids would have that were in the school, and and my theory is is that the kids that stayed home on the 19th and, of course, didn't go to school on the 20th, are the kids whose parents probably were either not in the military or they told them, keep your mouth shut, don't talk about this. The, that brings your number down to quite a bit that you have to keep quiet, and the ones who keep quiet, the way you keep them quiet is very simple. You don't have to point a gun at their head. It's very simple. You'll find this in the documents, too. Oh, well, Joey says you knew this shooting was coming. Well, uh, no, I didn't. And then they go back to Joey, and Joey says, yeah, I knew it was coming, too. They, they created blackmail material for these kids to blackmail them with long before the shooting ever happened. If you say, hey, cop, I know there was a cop in their shooting. I'm going to go to the news and I'm going to bust your ass. Oh, really, you are? Oh, well, do you know about the Colorado state law that says if you know about a felony that's going to be committed and you don't notify police that I can put you in jail as though you committed that crime?
1: All right, so yeah, so they threaten these kids. They sort of, uh, by saying they're going to be implicated in all this.
0: Yes, and several students have mentioned that, that they were warned that if they didn't stop talking about other suspects, they would be charged with a crime, have admitted that.
1: Okay, so that's sort of how you reconcile that that these kids were, that have kept their mouth shut about being held hostage for, for the night.
0: Right, but there's another element to this. Yeah. You you can never keep everyone quiet. We all know that. That's just logic. That's Mm -hmm. common sense. But what if a number of kids believed that the shooting happened at lunchtime on April 20th? How do you get people to want to believe that the shooting only happened over the span of 45 minutes on April 20th when the fact is that the whole incident lasted about a day? How do you get people to do that and make them want to believe your official version of events?
1: Mind control.
0: You got it. And that's scattered all over the documents, too. In fact, even Nick Begich came out and said, and he was talking about his book, uh, Angels Don't Play This Harp, and he was on Coast to Coast AM, and this was years ago, and uh, it was Nori that asked him, he says, well, can HARP be used for things like mind control to manipulate people?" And he goes, oh, of course. He says that was the whole intent. It wasn't just weather. He says it's about human control too. And then Nori asked him about, uh, uh, you know, things like Oklahoma City, how people felt things were different, just didn't feel right that morning. And then at Columbine, and he says, well, I've always said that, that Columbine was a mass mind control. And he even has a, a map, a spectrograph of the Columbine area starting on Saturday, going through the 21st, and it shows this huge red and yellowish area over the Columbine area, and George Norrie asked him, he goes, well, what does that mean? He goes, they had an intense electromagnetic field right on top of that high school for days. How do you find it in the documents? It's real simple. Numbers of people, not just students or their parents, but people living in the community said that from a, starting on Saturday, going through about the 21st or 22nd, everything just felt horrible down there. They just felt icky. They just they, uh, some people even left that didn't have kids of Columbine left and went up in the mountains and went camping. It just felt icky. I had a friend whose mother went outside the morning of April 19th on Monday, and she said this black cloud came down and descended over Columbine High School and stayed there till about the 21st. And she says it was weird because she could see it move with her eyes. And uh, she's a big researcher into mind control and such like. In fact, her and her husband used to run a big mind control group exposing mind control within the military and public schools and such like. So if you read the statement, some of the things you'll get is this. Uh, investigators will say, uh, well, you say the shooting happened at this time, but you know, we have this witness, and they'll say, "Well, I can't remember the sequence of events. I don't know when things started." Frank DeAngelis, the principal of Columbine High School, they accused him of blanking things out. Well, of course he did. I mean, you look at his statement; it's like full of holes. Yeah. I mean, you've got literally uh, three hours that he's that he. Talks about it in a statement where he's missing, he, and of course he doesn't admit to anything on April 19th or anything like that, but he's, he's going down his statement for that day and he's got like three hours missing from his whole day on April 20th alone. And they're calling him on this. The cops are calling him on this. And he's going, well I can't remember. You have other students that that speak about this continuously. I can't remember what happened during the shooting or before it. They can remember things, you know, a couple of hours before the shooting, but they can't remember anything during that time frame. They can remember nothing. There's a lot of them that say this over and over again in their statements.
1: Now, the skeptic would say that that's some kind of post-traumatic stress uh, reaction. What do you think of that?
0: That is a very reasonable response and and I I don't know how to respond to that I the only thing I can do is just give it the cre- uh, the credence that it has that yes that that is a possibility but what about police officers They're they're trained. They see dead people every day, auto accidents, school shootings. What about the cops that can't remember? What about the cops that have gone out on disability? What about the cops that said when they showed up at Columbine, it wasn't just the school in chaos, the cops were in chaos. I've got a video given to me by a friend where you have cops going in one door at Columbine High School, running down the hallway and coming out the other door, and I said, that's weird. How do you explain that? And he says, I talked to one of the cops. He says, once they got in the school, they, quote, became confused and couldn't figure out what hall that way they were in. They couldn't figure out where the entrance was where they just came in. Come on, I've been in that school myself. It's big, but it ain't that big.
1: Yeah, that's just weird. Yeah. So... Okay, so we're we're in the hostage situation now. I, I asked uh, before, I don't think we, we clarified this, like how many, in the instance where this all unfolds, in the beginning, how many people are involved here beyond the two kids that are pinned uh, as being responsible?
0: I believe it looks like the numbers are right around 20. Wow. And that includes, you know, the men in the green minivan and the trench coat mafia and that adult that trained Harrison Klebold.
1: Okay, so 20 see, We're
0: talking people. 20.
1: Wow, that's stunning.
0: Well, not all of them were shooting. Some of these guys were just helping to bring stuff in. So we're not talking about all active shooters.
1: Now, what do you mean bring stuff in?
0: Uh 25 propane tanks of the 25-pound variety. According to John Stone, the former sheriff of Jefferson County, who was a sheriff at the time of the shooting, he says, Oh, Bill, they just rushed the door. I said, With 25 of them, I can barely carry one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're
1: not a teenager anymore, Bill. Come on.
0: No, no. But, uh, you know, I was like, come on. There's no way that they just rushed the doors with that stuff. And by the way, you even had janitors admitting that they found stuff in the school uh, the week before. Uh, On Friday, they found pipe bombs in the trash cans. On Saturday, they found a propane tank in the kitchen that had nothing to do with the kitchen. So they were prepositioning stuff. There's no doubt, but there was more than them because some of the stuff that was being prepositioned bomb-wise, it wasn't Harrison Klebold doing that. There was a couple of people that were at the after-prom party that said that uh, uh, that there people other than Harrison Klebold were walking in, and they had duffel bags, and when they walked back out, um, that's when they found these propane tanks. They found a number of these items. I, I talked to a cop who said he, quote, found a fuel air bomb in the kitchen, and it was not there when they did the first SWAT search of the school. It was not there. He says they didn't find it till they went back in on the 21st and I have a woman and an Arapaho County Sheriff's deputy that both said that the ATF was seen carrying this huge and it was made of aluminum just you know plain aluminum not painted device into the school on the 21st.
1: Into the school?
0: Yes. Why? Blow it up, get rid of the evidence. And by the way, what I just told you is in the documents. Multiple witnesses saw these ATF agents going to the school, quote, carrying something. It's in the documents. I'm not even quoting out of thin air. I'm quoting out of the documents.
1: All right. I'm not. That wasn't a pejorative. Why? That was just an actually inquisitive, <laughs> trying uh, yeah, to I, I wrap think, my mind around this.
0: Oh, I think they. I think the government need to get rid of that school because, with the bullet holes in the walls and the destruction from the pipe bombs and everything, I, I think. Well the fbi the, the FBI came out on the night of April twentieth and told the local news and I talked to the newscaster who talked to the FBI and she said the FBI told her that quote based on the propane tanks and other bombs found in the school and the construction of these devices and i 'm quoting her directly, she says that the FBI doubts that the pair made it themselves, these bombs yeah. They found mercury switches on the bombs. That was reported the night of the 20th. And, of course, everybody said, Mercury switches? You can go to Home Depot and get those. I said, uh, excuse me, uh, police specifically said SWAT officers in their statements, quote, military-style mercury switches. So when somebody says, oh, they just went to Home Depot, I'm like, no, read the SWAT reports. They say in the SWAT reports, military-style mercury switches.
1: Okay, so we've got the 20 people there. They're holding these kids hostage. It, it goes through the night. Mm-hmm. The next day, this thing explodes, no pun intended, Right into the, the mainstream media and, and, and into the consciousness, I guess you could say, of, of the people. Take us through that day. Who who thwarts this whole thing? What becomes of the 18 other people who were involved?
0: You have a number of statements by witnesses that can prove conclusively that these other suspects were able to escape the school. Um, the adult who trained Harrison Klebold, I don't know if I ever mentioned his name before, uh, it's Nate Marshall. We tracked him down to New Mexico. Uh, he was able to escape because he was wearing his West Metro firefighter's uniform. He just walked out the door, just walked right out the door in front of the cops, and that's in the statements too. In fact, I got an, a, I've got got a, a, a Jefferson County dispatch where he's coming out of the school and they're describing him, uh, we got a guy uh, wearing dark dress pants and a white dress shirt, appears to be either a paramedic or firefighter, and Jeffco dispatch goes, he's clear to leave, let him go. Huh. That's in the dispatch call.
1: So they're just like kind of leaving with these students sort of getting yep. back into the mix of, uh, of the population, if you will.
0: Yep. The, some of the other people that were involved in this, and I went over there with uh, uh, a kid who knew Columbine pretty well. They have underground tunnels under Columbine High School that come up in the dugouts of the baseball field. And we pulled the manhole cover off, and the kid goes, this is how the other suspects got out, because he says, when we wanted to ditch class, This is how we did it, so they couldn't pick us up on the cameras in school and get us for ditch in school. I said, where do you get into this place in the school? He says, behind the cafeteria. He says, there's a manhole cover. He says, you pull it off, you go down through the tunnel, and it comes up here. Weird. Yeah. That's and Even the cops admitted that. They said if other suspects escaped in their initial statements to the public, they said they had to have used the tunnels that come out in the dugout, dugouts in the baseball field. That was actually admitted publicly.
1: So it's not like a big secret that there's this tunnel. No,
0: no. They, many students and teachers were asked about these uh, tunnels under Columbine. They were like, well, yeah, well, hey, go back and research public schools. I used to go down the tunnels with chicks from high school to get drunk when I was in high school. We <laughs> had them underneath our auditorium in our school, and they were there from the old days of continuity of government. That's where you would go if there was a nuclear attack. They would take all the kids down into the tunnels. All all schools built before 1982 have those. All of them do.
1: That's true, actually, because the yeah. high school I went to had a massive basement that was, like, yeah. just tremendous. You could fit, like, a couple thousand people under there.
0: Yeah. So. My high school had it, too. Yeah. yeah. They just had secret ways to get in, so they figured if the Ruskies invaded, they wouldn't find the kids. Uh, the nuclear fallout shelter in the schools was different. You know, they had the sign up there, like in the public buildings. But in a lot of the schools, there were actually like, if you had like an auditorium or something, there was ours was a trap door. You had to remove the trap door and then go down in there. Then once you got down into the tunnels, they became rooms. And, yeah, we used to go down there and get drunk all the time.
1: Um, Okay, so then what becomes of, of? so we we have the other suspects escaping, then Harrison Klebold in the official version where they kill themselves, right, in like the library Mm -hmm. or something like that. What actually do you think happens to them?
0: Oh, they, they were assassinated. They were, they weren't even killed in the library. I looked at the photos from the library. There's, there's no arterial spray. How in the world could Harris blow his head off with a shotgun and there's no arterial spray behind his head? There's nothing. They said that there was brain matter on the ceiling. Really, I looked at the ceiling tiles. There was nothing on those ceiling tiles. Patty Nielsen, who was hiding in the library up till 4.30 that afternoon, when she was questioned, she goes, I don't see how they could have killed themselves in the library with the shotguns. I would have heard it. She goes, I never heard the booms from the shotguns. I talked to her. The media talked to her. In fact, the media talked to her more than once because they were suspicious. And a girl I talked to who was hiding in the gymnasium said, we were hiding in a closet in the gymnasium where they put all the equipment, and she goes, we heard Harrison Klebold talking, then we heard a cop say, hold it, stop right there, and then we heard boom, boom. And a lot of people have said that those two were taken back to the library and place there. First of all, Harris didn't blow his head off the shotgun. It's it's that simple. Uh, First of all, according to them, his head didn't even come off. I hate to get gross, but he supposedly had a two-centimeter hole in the top of his head. Well, I'm sorry, but if you put a shotgun in your mouth, there ain't going to be nothing above your lower chin.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: But he only had a two-centimeter hole. From a shotgun blast from a sawed-off shotgun? Come on, that dog don't hunt. Even a first-year med student can tell you that.
1: Yeah, that's pretty strange.
0: And then quibble supposedly killed himself with a gun he was laying on. That's in the autopsy reports. That's in the police reports. He was laying on top of his gun, and his hands were in his lap. Those bodies were positioned. And I, and I know lots of rookie cops that have looked at this who don't even have experience in crime scenes, and they go, Ah, uh, that ain't right. Well, we are celebrating the 100th anniversary of this church, and that
1: is
2: something to
1: shout about.
2: Praise Amen. God! Praise God! Amen. God be
0: praised! Amen. Amen.
1: You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Praise
0: sent us a young man named Tim. 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 He said, I will join your choir and
2: help sing your song. You, Tim. Now take it away, East Bronx Women's Gospel Choir, with Mr. Tim.
1: Well now, from the description of the witness that you say so, said sounded like a cop said, hold it, stop right there. It sounds like they were shot by police enforcement trying to come in and, and end the End mm-hmm. of the event. Yep. So why wouldn't they just admit that they shot the kids? Like, just, just sort of just to cover their own ass. Sort of like you know you do No, wanna...
0: this is political. This is the sickest part of Columbine, besides the planning and execution of the shooting. They wanted these two to look like a couple of wussies who killed themselves. There's been numbers of cases, Tim, all over America where the cops say, yeah, the bad guy, he kidnapped that girl and raped and killed her, and by the time we got to him, he killed himself. Bull crap. I've seen a lot of these police reports. The cops shoot these guys, but then they want to make them look like cowards. It all goes back to the gun issue. They're trying to paint gun owners into the corner of a bunch of cowards who kill innocent people and take their own lives. It's politics. Okay. That's what that's about. It's, you know, most people, unless you've been around cops, you don't understand how political they are. Right. Very big political. I mean, you and I know it, but a lot of your listeners may not know it. Why your listeners think the cops just go out on the street and they do their job and that's it? No, 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 no. They're big into politics. Oh, yeah. Uh, they've got to deal with political correctness. They've got to deal with things that, you know, maybe they don't even want to do that they have to do every every day. I mean, look at all these shootings since uh, this Tran Martin thing, you know, where you know some poor white kid's getting shot by a black kid because, hey, look at that, you know, that guy that shot Tran Martin, you know, and it's like that, that has nothing to do with the average white kid walking down the street. But they don't want anyone to know that, so they don't advertise the race of the person who shot him because they, they don't want anyone to know that racial shootings are real in this country. They're trying to keep that stuff out of the media. Well, it's the same way with gun owners. They don't want people to know that, hey, maybe that gun owner had a right to shoot at a cop. Maybe the cop shot at him first, and he's like, hey, I'm not doing anything wrong, you know. And boom, the cop keeps shooting, so he shoots back or whatever or something goes wrong. And so the cop shoots him, then drags him over and puts him in the corner and puts his uh, gun in his hand and makes it look like a suicide. I mean, I've talked to guys in the military who have said that they have investigated stuff like this where they make it look like a suicide when the guy actually, you know, was murdered.
1: Now it sounds like there was a lot of suspicion surrounding this after the fact, uh, but that all seems to have gone away with the exception of your research and some of the other people. Why do you think just sort of like a lockdown on, on the real story, if you will, happened afterwards?
0: Yeah, uh, it was a lockdown on the real story, but a lot of people who were looking into this didn't exactly have squeaky clean backgrounds, and You know, I think they went to a lot of these people and said, well, you know, we know 20 years ago, you know, you used to do drugs and beat your wife. I mean, a lot of the researchers I met, they're nice people, but they have had things in their past, you know, that are not good, not horrible things. They didn't go out and murder anybody, but, you know, maybe they did drugs and almost OD'd or, you know, they wrecked their car while drunk or something. And a lot of those people, they don't really want that laundry aired. And I think that the government does what they always do. And i got a cousin who's in the OSI, in the Air Force. And he says, Bill, if I can find something on somebody, he says, I I use it on them all the time. He says, I can get people to talk just by going into their past and finding their alcoholism or drug abuse or the fact that they backhanded their wife at one point, didn't want anybody to know. He says, I can get anything on anybody. You know, and I think that a lot of these researchers, they had Stuff on him. like right. well, like John Quinn. I mean, uh, the the guy ran his internet news service out of an office rented from the NSA. You know. And, you know, immediately people are saying, well, like, why are you so associated with the NSA? Well, he didn't tell people this because he was afraid they'd be suspicious. He he was a contractor. He he was a consultant to the NSA on the Internet and computer security. He just did this research into the New World Order on the side. Well, I mean, it, he could be innocent. He could be telling the truth, but what would people think? Oh, you're working for the NSA. Oh, yeah, you're just trying to uh, keep people in going different directions. Um, other researchers, uh, well, like this guy I talked about Justin Tribble. They finally set him up and put him in jail, you know, yeah. and because he wouldn't shut up either. I mean, he was doing work for years. He even wrote a book about Columbine, and the FBI went in, got all his books off of Amazon. Uh, if you go up there now, you can still find his book, but it, it's out of print now. I think you can order some used copies, but he wouldn't shut up. and They went after him, and with me, I just told him, I said, yeah, a long time ago when I was in college, I got drunk and got a driving wall impaired Ticket. There you go. Now you know who I am. You know, I used to work in the music industry. I was an actor for a while. Yeah, I chased bimbos like Paris Hilton. There you go. They don't have anything on me that I haven't already run my mouth about in public.
1: There you go, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you already told me you were drinking in the basement of your high school, so it's all, yeah. It's all
0: good. <laughs> yeah, we had some hot cheerleaders, you know. <laughs> Free beer will get you what you want.
1: That's the truth. Yeah. What kind of new stuff have you come up with in the last three years beyond the people that have disappeared? Um, any any sort of new stuff that's really kind of opened your eyes? Because this whole this whole Christian element really wasn't a part of your milieu when you were on uh for the tenth anniversary. Right. So this I is sort was of a new Just starting
0: to delve into that angle when I talked to you last time. Yeah. It was brand new to me too, but I've got some other things on some other people. Uh, this gets kind of like, uh, oh, Hollywood here. Uh, but you have, you know, and I'm sure you know who I'm talking about, Sharon Stone, you know, the actress, you yeah. know, totally hot. Uh, she was on, uh, uh, I, was it, oh, Access Hollywood. And I had this news footage for a long time and I didn't even look at it because I figured, well, you know, celebrities always use School shootings and other things to get on TV and cry and, you know, and everything. So I just kind of threw it aside. Well, about three, almost four years ago now, I decided to take that news footage out, look at it, and it blew me away. She was on Access Hollywood the night of the Columbine shooting, and she says to the camera, she goes, I have one question to ask you. She goes, I want to know what adult trained these kids and told them to take Hitler's birthday and and turn it into a bloodbath because she says teenagers do not plan and carry something off like this by themselves. So she already had an idea of the adult who was involved. Now get this, in June of that year, she was going around talking to people about this saying that she wanted to know where the parents were did the parents teach these kids that you know it's all right to use a gun to kill your friends or whatever she uh many of the people that she was around noticed that she had a bruise on her neck and they asked her about it and she wouldn't talk about it well if you remember right from that summer she had to go into the hospital uh because she was found passed out um by her security people and uh the doctor said, oh, she had this aneurysm. Well, he described the aneurysm, and I looked it up. There's two ways you can get this aneurysm. Either you're born with it or blunt force trauma. Huh. Now, friends of hers, big shots in Hollywood, noticed she had this bruise on her neck. Her security people find her passed out then on top of that, after she gets out of the hospital, after they fix the aneurysm, she calls the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. She's changed her mind. She's no longer pro-gun. She wants them to come get her guns. Weird. Uh Uh-huh. Think the old long arm of the Columbine conspiracy reached out from Littleton?
1: Anything's possible, Bill.
0: And I've got one even better for you.
1: Let's hear it. Remember
0: the two kids from different strokes, Dana Plato and uh, Gary Coleman? yeah they both lived down there they uh Dana Plato lived with the Scots all up during the columbine shooting and Daryl Scott, whose daughter Rachel Scott was killed at columbine the the girl Rachel Scott, who told everybody before April twentieth what was going to happen, he does evangelical ministries in Hollywood to try and get Hollywood celebrities to get out of Hollywood. Well, he knew Dino Plato was pretty much a has been everybody knew that in the nineties. Um, he brought her to Denver to dry out, and she lived with the Scots. Now, this comes from a private detective who was trying to find her, track her down, because she owed some serious money out there in Hollywood. And according to the sources, and you'll find her name in the documents, too. They do have Dana Plato in the documents. Supposedly, according to this private detective, she had uh, Rachel Scott had run her mouth to Dana Plato, and it said, oh, yeah, we're going to, I mean, Rachel Scott had mentioned this to several people, that she was actually in league with Harrison Klebold to do this shooting. And, of course, you know, they turned on her or somebody else shot her, whatever the case may be, and killed her. But she told Dana Plato this information. Now, as you know, Dana Plano on May 7th did an interview uh, with, what's his name, the jerk from talk radio. What was his name again? The guy that said, asked why Harrison Klebold didn't have sex with those girls before they killed him, the shock jock. Howard Stern? I can't remember his name. Howard Stern? Yeah, Howard Stern. Yeah, Dana Plato had an interview with him where she was talking. Uh, about different things. Now, he didn't ask her about Columbine, but he asked her in general about how she was doing and stuff. And she kept getting weird and all Christian on him, you know, and like, oh, Jesus loves you and all this stuff. And I'm like, God, where is she picking this crap up, you know? You know, a girl out of Hollywood. And then when I, you know, ran into this private detective online, I was like, oh, Daryl Scott brought her to Denver. He's an evangelical. That's why. Well, now, as you remember, later on that month in May, she was found dead in her motorhome in Oklahoma. And the guy who claims her, he was her husband, they could find no marriage certificate for He pretty much got all of her money. And then it was a year after that, her son died. Wow. Interesting, huh? Strange. And that's not all. Gary Coleman, I talked to people down at Caboose Hobbies that knew Gary Coleman because he worked at Caboose Hobbies. He lived in Highlands Ranch and Dana Plato had been in contact with him and, uh, Gary Coleman suddenly up and dies of a stroke, uh, about, oh, three or four months after Dana Plato dies, he dies. Now, granted, he always had health issues because of his small stature, his pituitary gland and all that, but do you think Dina Plato might have run her mouth about what Rachel Scott told her and then he ends up dead?
1: It's weird. It's pretty Uh weird. Although I think he did die a few years after
0: she did. It may have been. I'd have to look it up and see. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, I may be mistaken about that one. Uh, well, he died about
1: a year later. I'm looking at it now, so just, okay. just so we can avoid the emails from people. <laughs>
0: okay, so it was a year later. Okay. Almost,
1: almost to the day. Bro. Yeah,
0: I'm not looking at his name right off the bat. I'm going off memory on that yeah. one. So, okay, yeah. so I stand corrected. Now, do you want to know the big one why I think that this shooting happened on ni- April 19th besides the information I g- just gave you? Of course, of course
1: I want to hear that.
0: On all FBI documents, there is a number with two letters on all FBI documents. It's at the top of the document and it's, at again, at the bottom of the document. The first letter in a document will denote the type of crime. The two letters after that number denote the city that the crime happened in. The two, the four, five, okay, one, two, three, the five numbers after that denote the case number. The two first numbers denote the series in that crime. In other words, if the first two numbers are 10, that means that's the 10th uh, felony of that type for the year that the FBI is investigated, and the three numbers after that denote the month and the day. Now, get this. At Columbine, you have four, which denotes Firearms Act, according to the FBI's website, dash D-N stands for Denver Field Office, dash 5-7. That denotes the 57th incident of gun violence uh, as per the Firearms Act of 1967 that happened in the city of Denver that, or actually in the whole state of Colorado, that the FBI investigated that year. Now, here's for the big one. Drum roll. <laughs> the last three numbers, 4 one nine the Hmm. first number denotes the month and the second two numbers denote the day of the criminal act there it is people right there in the fbi's own documents
1: there you go yeah i mean Mm -hmm. i can't uh i can't argue with that i have to correct myself Gary Coleman died actually a decade after Dana Plato, so it wasn't a year later. So I okay, so it was so it was a while later. It was quite a while, but uh, well, then
0: who did she, who did she know? There was somebody else she knew that died with either in a couple of months or a year, and they had talked to her while she was in Oklahoma. I have to look that up because there was somebody else then that she had talked to, and she talked about her troubles and and living in Colorado and stuff. And then that person died. So it was somebody between her and Gary Coleman that died. Yeah. Somebody in between there. I have to pull out my notes. Yeah. Now, so there was somebody else then.
1: Now you sent me another picture here. Um, it's a, it looks like a slide of sorts. There's three pictures. Um, it looks like there's pictures of of, peop, of, of SWAT people on rooftops surrounding Columbine and there's some writing on the sides of those and uh, I, I can't make it full screen enough to read the writing so tell me do you, I'm sure you recall that you emailed it to me today so I guess talk a little bit about what, what what's up with that.
0: Oh that one. That one there was given to me uh, by a kid by the name of Ken. Uh, he lived just south of Columbine High School. Now Ken managed to escape the school and get out of there but when he got home, SWAT knocked on his door and asked him if they could put someone on the roof, and he said, well, yeah, I guess. they That guy in the middle of the picture is a SWAT officer who is a sniper that was stationed on the roof of his uh, house. Now, the one picture show, actually shows the sniper on the roof of the house. If you look real close, you can see him laying on the roof. The other one is the interior of the house of the SWAT officer, and I can't remember what the bottom photo is. Um, that was put together by a friend of mine who uh, had gotten the photos from this kid. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the top picture shows the SWAT officer, and then the bottom picture shows the SWAT officer uh, from a distance on the roof, and then, of course, the middle one. Uh, the writing is this stuff that a friend of mine put down. I don't know what all it is. He was writing notes furiously as he was talking to this kid over the phone. Now here's the story. That came from this kid and his older brother when I talked to him. When the when the Columbine shooting was over, the SWAT officer had caused damage to the roof because they had wood shake shingles. And the kid and his brother got up there to fix the shingles and that's when they found shell casings, 223 shell casings in the gutter. Now the reason that this is so odd is if you read the official report and you read the lawsuits when Jefferson County was asked about their response, they claim that they never fired into the library from the roof of any of the homes, that their SWAT officers never had a chance to fire, yet this guy and his brother find shell casings. Now you might ask, well did they actually hear the sniper shooting? No, because they were led out of their house by SWAT after the guy got up there on the roof. They were not allowed to stay in their house. They came back after it was over with and he'd come down from the roof and they'd asked him to come in and they were asking, you know, well, who was it? Did you know who was doing the shooting? And he wouldn't tell them, but he did allow them to take a picture. So they were never able to hear because they took them like two blocks away. So they They couldn't tell if he was shooting from the roof, but they did find the shell casings afterwards. This completely contradicts the Jefferson County Sheriff's Department's official version of events, saying that SWAT officers never had a good shot at Harrison Clebold, and none of the officers stationed on the roofs of nearby homes ever fired a shot.
1: Huh. Very strange. Now in your, on the page there, ColumbineConspiracy.com, as we get to the end of the conversation, we'll get into what's going on there with that. But what, one section is Death Education and Columbine. You say many schools throughout America, including Columbine High School, teaches Death Education. Columbine High School received this educational program first during the early 80s. How does this program contribute to the Columbine Massacre and other school shootings? What is, what is this all about?
0: Well, you're going to be very interested in death education because I tracked its origins back to cult groups out of California and Virginia that were receiving grant money from the CIA in the 70s. These groups created death education to teach kids about death and how to, quote, die with dignity. When you trace the funding of death education, Columbine was the first school in Colorado to get it. The funding came from the Department of Health and Welfare in Washington, D.C., and this is the department that gave the CIA and other groups the money going back to the 50s to fund mind control research. Death education, as it is at Columbine, as it is in other schools, plainly teaches that you are nothing but a primordial ooze, that you know, you're, uh, you are You'd do better to die early, die young, um, you know, don't waste Earth's resources, the polar bears are drowning because you're alive, all, just all kinds of nonsense. Yeah. I mean, if you read the death education material, which is available online, um, don't be eating lunch while you're doing it because, I mean, you'll toss your lunch. The stuff that they put in there is horrible. The connection between the school shooting... At Columbine and death education is very simple. Every kid is required to take death education at Columbine. When you look at the political aspects of the shooting at Columbine and the way the kids reacted, watch the news footage and I've got it if you want to, if you want copies of it, I can give it to you on DVD. There are kids standing out there who just escaped the school. They know that the shooting is real. There's no debates in their mind. The cops are showing up. They can hear gunshots, and they're standing there laughing and cheering it on. Now, does that seem like a normal reaction, or does that seem like a kid who's been brainwashed by a stupid class that tells him that the polar bear is more important than
1: he is? (laughs) Exactly. That's weird. And this, and
0: I got a footage of Sheriff John Stone trying to talk to the media that day late in the afternoon on the twentieth, trying to talk about the number of dead, what they were doing to get to the dead. And the damn cheerleaders from Columbine High School had put their uniforms on, and they were standing behind him doing a cheer, and the football players are standing behind them clapping their hands and cheering. And let me tell you something. I thought Stone was going to turn around and go after those kids, and I talked to him afterwards, and he said that was the most insensitive, most sickening thing he had ever seen in his 27 years of law enforcement. Now, we all know Stone ain't a great guy. We all know that he lied to the media, lied to the parents. We know he's not a good guy, but he is hardly the only conspirator at Columbine. The, the, the conspiracy, the problem with Columbine, and the reason people don't want to touch it, It's the same way reason that people don't want to touch the mess this country's in today because where do I start? Who do I go after? Who do I prosecute? How do I turn this around? At Columbine, just about everybody was a co-conspirator, even the so-called victims. The kids thought this was funny, Tim. They thought this, not all of them, not all of them, I'm not blaming all kids at Columbine, but there was a large number of them that thought this shooting, even though they knew it was real and their friends were dying, they thought it was funny. The government made the kids co-conspirators. There, essentially, there is nobody innocent at Columbine, which is another leg of why the kids won't come out and speak about it. Because anybody in the media that's looking for a good story and the kids come out and say, oh, well, there was other suspects and the government was involved. The media was there. They know these kids were laughing and cheering this thing on. They're going to say, hey, Joey, weren't you the one in the back of the news footage cheering with the cheerleaders and you thought this was cool? How do we know you weren't involved? There you go. There's another aspect of it. The kids are so looped out that even if they did come out and speak out, it's just going to get turned around on them. Yeah, They're yeah. going to say, well, you're just as nutty as the kids who did the shooting. You were cheering it on.
1: Now, when we talked in uh, 2009, that was the big 10th anniversary, and that, I was surprised, you know, it, 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 not to pat myself on the back, but I think you and I were the only people doing a, a program that sort of addressed the conspiracy, but you're in the area. Was there more to the tenth anniversary coverage where maybe some of these unanswered questions resurfaced a little bit or was it still sort of like not touched at all?
0: No, they weren't touched at all. It was a typical rock star event. Um, they brought in local bands and everything and they were all like, you know, oh, we remember our friends who died. Now let's eat and be merry and, you know, go do whatever. And they they completely just dropped everything. Even the few parents who still had questions uh, in fact, you know, some of the, some of the parents who still, you know, criticize Jefferson County, they weren't even allowed at the event. Huh. Wow. And so, and some of the kids who lambasted, uh, Stone and his deputies on April 20th, they weren't allowed at the event either. I mean, it's just these events, they, they, it's like some little secret cult group when they get together for these anniversaries every year. And they don't want anybody questioning anything. About the official version of events, even though they themselves were all asking the question in the first couple of days or weeks now it's all just a it's just a yearly rock concert
1: strange, yeah, S- sounds really strange over there now you're in the general area, this is completely off topic of Columbine, maybe not though um but I've heard a lot of talk about the Denver airport, and I figure you must know something about about the whole uh conspiracy surrounding the Denver Airport. So talk a little bit about that if you can, if you've looked at it at all.
0: Oh, yeah. I've looked at it a lot. It'll be on my website. Um, when I was in college, I actually worked out there, and uh, we poured sidewalks. I worked for a company that uh, poured the sidewalks. We were hearing the rumors clear back in the early 90s when they first started the e- excavating that they were going to build underground portions to that. Uh, FEMA had talked in 1992 that they wanted to move their facility out to the DIA airport after it was finished and get out of western Jefferson County because it was considered a, a target out there because of all the defense contractors. Uh, that's in the newspaper. You can read that. They reiterated that in, in uh, 2001. I've been out there. I've got a lot of pictures from DIA. Uh I got the pictures of the murals. Those are ooh. I just, you know, I love art and if a guy really wants to express the darker side of life and show the sorrow of of death and destruction great. But those murals were commissioned and this guy claims to this day he don't even know who commissioned him, just somebody from the federal government who was working in conjunction with the city of Denver and they told him exactly what to paint. Now that's you know, I mean there are artists who will work for the government and paint specific things, but why would the government want all this weird stuff painted that showed basically the end of the world and that? And you will find both nine one and Columbine symbolism in the DIA murals. One of them is a girl with the Christian cross laying in the casket, and guess what is sitting on her chest in the casket? What? Columbine flower. By the way, that's our state flower, it's a Columbine flower. And it's laying on her chest next to the cross. Weird. Mm hmm. Then you have what looks like skyscrapers in flames, and part of them are missing, like 911. And when was all this, when did all this get put up? 96. Okay. Weird. Mm-hmm. Now, I've got aerial photos taken during the construction of the airport, and there's like 10 or 12 military aircraft parked at DIA. Uh, you can see what looks like some fighter jets. It's hard to tell from the satellite photos if they're F-16s, F-18s, or whatever, but there's also some C-130s and C-140s. I, I've flown on C-140s, so I know what they look like even from the air. Uh, so you have these aircraft at DIA that really have no business being there. They're military. Now, the underground at DIA, a friend of mine interviewed a construction worker years and years ago, And he worked for Al Cohen. Al Cohen and some of these other companies are big in Colorado. They built all the buildings in downtown Denver. They did all of the major construction, and they're all connected to Washington, D.C., socialites, and all that. Um, This guy stated very specifically that he worked on the underground sections of DIA, and that he built the tunnels that go from the concourses to the main buildings, but he also built tunnels that went way out north and way out east, and he said no one crew built the entire tunnel. One crew would build a section of tunnel, then they were taken off the project, and another one brought in. I met an undocumented worker years ago at a meeting who said that he had worked on DIA. He had been brought in from Mexico, recruited by an American construction company, and they worked on part of a tunnel, and then they were put on another construction project on the western slope. And he says, oh, it was weird. He says, I've never worked doing concrete like that where we only do part of it and then have to leave. Um,
1: so it was all compartmentalized.
0: Yeah, very compartmentalized. But, you know, they've admitted tongue-in-cheek over the years that there are underground facilities there. And I've got news articles. i got to dig them out of my box. I have these banker boxes full of news articles. i got news articles where they built uh, uh, admitted to building these cooling towers, and then they admitted they built them in the wrong place so they covered them up with dirt. Just weird stuff like that. I've got pictures of these huge pyramids out at DIA. People don't know this. Uh, it's very hard to see it even if you're landing at DIA, but on the west side, they have these huge pyramids with doors built into the side of them that go down. If you use Google Maps, you can see them, but I've actually seen them from the side. Huh. And I got pictures of them. And there's, and I've been up to the north side of DIA where they have these, like, uh, well, they call it an experimental electrical generating station, but the power is coming in, not going out. Um, I have some friends in the electrical business that have looked at this facility, and they said, no, these guys aren't generating electricity here because these power lines come in. They don't generate and then go out. And there are huge air ducts, like 50, 100 feet in the air, yeah. air ducts. And all of this property, if you look at the old signs, you can drive around it now, but at one time you couldn't, There's signs two to three miles north of DIA that have on them no trespassing uh, due to construction, and then they cite the FAA rules about not trespassing on airport property, especially during construction. But this is over two, three miles away from the airport. So what kind of construction were they doing there in all these vacant fields that there's still nothing there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very odd. Very yeah. odd. And then I met a woman who lives south of DIA that says that she can hear what appears to be trains moving underneath her house uh, at all times of day or night. And she goes, it's like underground subways.
1: Strange. That's weird.
0: Yeah. And then I got uh, – I went to one building, and we waited to – city of Denver maintenance guy opened it up. And it's a building that looks like a utility corridor and he walks into the building and I got my binoculars and got up close and he goes down the stairs and disappears but he left the front door open. So I got up real close and I was scared because they do have a camera out front. They probably got me on on (laughs) camera. And I look down and the stairs go down about twenty feet and then they level out and then they go uh and this is on the south side of the airport and they go straight north to the airport so yeah there's there's a lot of underground out there, yeah there's no yeah. doubt about that.
1: Well, the theory seems to be that it's like uh some kind of underground base for like the New World Order or something like that or or
0: Well, it of, would know. be if uh, all these idiots uh like Al Gore and all these others that have talked over the years, that would make sense because uh, they want Denver to be the backup. Uh, seat of government for the U.S. government. That's public knowledge. That's yeah. in congressional documents, military documents. Uh, they want the the Denver to be the backup government, and uh, FEMA has admitted, you know, like I said, that they wanted their facility at DIA, and finally they admitted in 2004 that they had moved all of their underground vaults and records to DIA. <laughs> So, I mean, they, I mean, they haven't come right out and said, okay, we got a huge underground facility at DIA, we're, g- we're gonna lock y'all up or, you know, anything like that, but they've admitted that, you know, tongue in cheek, the, uh, cheek, the facilities exist.
1: Exactly, yeah, yeah. Well, it's very mysterious, this whole Denver airport thing, so.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, uh, my uncle owned, uh, property out there and he sold it back in the early 80s. And, uh, when he would be out on the tractor, a lot of times he'd be out on the tractor late at night, and he says, I didn't know if I was just tired or what, but he says, we always used to see him and my two cousins, uh, his two boys, always used to see shapes flitting around out in the fields. Just weird things. We've- and he, and his parents always thought that, you know, all that land was haunted because that Indians used that as a burial ground for a long time.
1: That's bizarre. That even yeah. it makes it even more strange.
0: Yeah. And oh, you ought to see, I was out there one night by myself and it, it was about seven, eight o'clock at night. And I'm walking around and I got my camera and I'm thinking, you know, I want to see if I can, you know, see any lights that appear unusual, anything that would mark a facility entrance or anything. And I'm walking around because underground bases is my big thing too. Cause when I was trained, uh, to do security work, we trained in an underground base. So, you know, I've kind of, you know, I, I kind of gotten into them and think, wow, really cool. And, uh, I'm walking around out there and I'm walking down the side of the road. And all of a sudden, I hear something behind me, and I'm like, "Oh no!" Here's the Denver Police. Tell me, I can't park alongside the road. I turn around. There's nothing there, and I'm like, "Eh." So I keep walking, and I stop. And all of a sudden, I hear this—this this growling, just this horrible growling. And I'm like, "Oh no!" Somebody let their cujo loose, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, just slowly turn around, and there's nothing there. Weird. And I've talked to people at DIA that have seen all kinds of weird stuff in the news. Nine News actually did a story about all the strange goings on at DIA. Now get this. They actually admitted publicly that one of the trams that they used to get people from the main concourse out to the, uh, the concourses where the airliners pull their planes up there, admitted on the news that one of the trains was running by itself one night that there was nobody at the controls. Actually admitted this on the news.
1: Yikes. So it sounds like it's got like a haunting thing going on as well. There must be some oh, yeah. really strange I, energy talked there. I've heard people
0: that work at the concession stands and in the stores out there, and they say that at night as they're closing up, you know, they said, yeah, you got people in the airport, but at night you don't have that many uh, travelers coming through. And they'll always hear stuff, voices in places where, you know, it's already locked up and they pull the gates down, things like that. And, you know, when um, – who was it? Was it, it wasn't Ghost Hunters, but some other group came through and said that they thought DIA was haunted, and this was years ago. And then, uh, Jesse Ventura, of course, came through DIA, and he talked about all the weird stuff. He, he pretty much did a recap. He yeah. didn't really do anything new.
1: Well, that's, but, that's, you know, that's paranormal TV for you. Yeah, yeah. And now, to, to jump back to the Columbine thing now, what do you think? I mean, here we are, we're, we're about 11 years out. Uh, since the events do you think that there's ever going to be that the, the, the real story of this is ever going to be unveiled or or is it something that will forever be lost to people who don't listen to this program
0: i don't think it'll ever be totally lost i i don't think that we'll ever have the complete picture because i don't even have it and certainly no other researcher who just skims over the columbine material will have it but there's been more and and more coming out. There are other people that have put up websites they've used my information and my radio shows, and they said, "Hey, this guy makes sense. I went back and read the documents too you know he's he's right on the money here um as far as the parents and the Columbine kids go, they've got too much to lose they will they'll take this to their grave with them. There's too much to lose down there
1: so do you, you think anyone will be brought to justice? That's probably the better way of uh phrasing. The, the oh, I I,
0: I am absolutely convinced we'll nail this firefighter. I mean, the the cops are watching him down in Albuquerque, New Mexico. They've been watching him for a couple of years now, and he's been trying to put together groups of kids and teach them to make pipe bombs. And um, I think he knows he's being watched. He was on Firehouse.com bitching and moaning, you know, about how people, you know, overreact to these school shootings. And I went in there to Firehouse.com, and this was in 2005. I said, Yeah, of course. I said, Would they really be overreacting if they knew you were at Columbine and were involved in the shooting? Boy, he deleted his account real quick. And then he jumps back in there uh, about a year later, and he starts, he's like, all oh, hysterical, and he's telling other people on firehouse.com, um, uh, uh, you know, he's going on about, well, I'm afraid they're going to bust me for that thing up there in Colorado and these other firefighters. What, what bust you for what thing? What did you do? He goes, oh, you know, that shooting thing up there. Man, I'm afraid they're going to get me for that. They're going to get me for that. And uh, I tried to print his things, and now if anybody else has ever figured out a way to do this, some of these forums have a design so that when you try to print it out all you get is a black blank page. And I've never been able to print out his early comments where he says he's worried about that school shooting thing in Colorado he's going to get busted for. Uh his later comments are still up there. Um he doesn't talk so much about Columbine later on. He just talks about people whining about school shootings and stuff, but I do have his comments from when he was in the uh, forums here in Colorado talking. and uh, But, you know, if anybody has a way that they know of and knows how to print those comments, I would really love it, those early ones. Because, I mean, he says right in there, he practically admits he was involved. You know, he says, I'm worried about that shooting up there in Colorado. They're going to bust me for it. But when I try to print it, all I get is a blank page. I just get the header, firehouse.com.
1: Couldn't you just take a screen grab?
0: I tried that too, and the text is so small you can't read it. Now get this, when you try to enlarge it as though it was regular text, it just it pixelates like it's a JPEG image or something. They've got something, and I've heard about them doing this with forums where they don't want people to copy stuff out of forums so that they're able to screw up the text, so if you try to enlarge it and print it, you can't. Oh, weird. And, if they're, and I'm not an expert at that. Particular type of thing. I'm good at web design, not programming. But if there's somebody else out there that knows about it, it's firehouse.com. Look up the archives for March through May of 2005, and look up the name N Marshall. All right. He go That's what he uses.
1: Now you haven't said anything on the program tonight that's
0: going to get me sued, right? No, no. In fact, in fact, they've made comments in Jefferson County that they know that this guy was there at the school. There was a, a woman by the name of Cindy Matthews. She claims he came in, and, and you can read these emails that she sent me. Another guy who listened to your program really hit her hard on it, and she finally admitted that he worked for West Metro. But she first tried to deny that he worked there, didn't know his name, didn't know anything about him, then she admitted that he did come in, she reviewed his file, and sent him over for the psych exam, and he never went and took the psych exam, then she admitted he did take the psych exam, uh, but he never came in to get his uniform, and then finally she admitted, she goes, well, yes, he did work for us, but he worked at a different division, that's why I didn't know. It was all BS, because she handles the the HR for everyone. And I mean, it's very clear in her emails that she's trying to avoid talking about him. And there's nothing that'll get you sued because I have sent letters to the FBI, ATF, State of Colorado, even Don Lee, uh, who's a state senator who represents a Columbine area. Uh, because I did my legal obligation. I knew for a fact that this Nate Marshall was involved. I contacted every law enforcement agency. They have interviewed me and quote, they have determined that he has no involvement at Columbine even though he was a West Metro firefighter and was probably there that day assisting that he has no involvement. And I said, well, I got his name from the families down there. The families all know about him. They know he was involved. I said, now he's down in Albuquerque. They admit that he's messing around with kids down there. I said, attention needs to be paid. And so I did my civic duty. I did my duty, and I let everyone know. About this guy, so no, you're you're not getting getting any trouble. I would have been in trouble long before now, but they know I've got this guy's comments. They know that I've got I got one parent that she wrote his name in my notebook in her handwriting, and she says, "Bill, check out this guy. He's up in Lakewood, uh, Colorado, and he's with West Metro Fire, and his name's Nate Marshall." She goes, "He was involved. I know it, and so do others." And she wrote that in her handwriting, and I made and the uh, the uh, state patrol made a copy of my notebook uh, page where she wrote that and uh, said, well, we'll check it out. And then they came back and said, well, we talked to Jefferson County, and he's already been cleared.
1: So you, so, but you do think that this is going to huh? end up with this guy getting busted uh, for being involved?
0: Oh, I know he's involved. I got a picture of him shooting a weapon from Columbine High School.
1: No, but I mean... <laughs> Do you think that he'll be brought to justice, though? No, oh, I think
0: he will because he's a nut job. And and he knows that in Colorado, um, this is a death penalty case. If you kill more than two people in Colorado, if you're a suspect, whether it's a spur of the moment, emotional thing, or whether you plan it, uh, two or more murders by a single suspect is a death penalty case in Colorado. He knows that. But he's flipping out because he's nuts. And he's run his mouth all over the place. He's been in lots of forums talking. He was in Justin Tribble's forum, the Columbine Research Task Force. And he goes in there and he says, Yeah, he says, yeah, Stone is a good guy. You guys need to shut up about him and his cops. They did it right, you know. And I'm like, Yeah, they covered up your existence. I'm sure they did do it right by your uh, you know thing. But I, I I've got the guy. And and he'll snap. They always do. My cousin's uh Air Force cop. Well, do, tell you, you.
1: do you think that he'll end up actually facing justice or will it be some kind of mysterious turn of events cuz i mean they don't want to they, they don't want to like open up this thing all over again wouldn't that just open them up to a whole bunch of you know inquiry from
0: i you know and you know the 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 problem with this is is that these guys that cover these events up, I don't think are completely in control. I do think new people come into law enforcement and into the DA's office, and they say, "Hey, you know what? Uh, you covered this up. You shouldn't have done it. Doesn't matter that this guy was a corrupt cop. I'm going after him." I think there's a slight chance that that the new people in Jefferson County will bring him to justice. Uh, Mink has said on numerous occasions he's let it slip that he wants to go back and look at Columbine. He he he's worried that there are people who at least knew what was going to happen and is fearful that these people running around in public may themselves go out and commit such a crime in the future. And then he doesn't say anything, and I think it's because he can't get any traction with his detectives. But there's a slight chance. I won't say it's overwhelming 100 percent he's going to get busted, but I think he'll bust himself. I think he runs his mouth too much, and I think that some cops somewhere will pick him up And I don't think he'll get prosecuted and end up on TV going, yes, I helped Harrison Klebold, I I trained him to make bombs. I don't think anything like that will happen. I think he'll get picked up, and then he'll disappear into the system. He may go to jail, he may not, but I think eventually he will disappear, but I think his name will eventually come up. Okay. Uh, but I think I don't think it'll be any big expose on TV. I don't. I don't think his lawyer will be on TV saying, "Well, we're going to cut a deal" or anything like that. No, no. I don't think it'll be anything big like that. I think if he does get picked up, I think they'll either make him disappear um, or they'll charge him with another crime somewhere else to keep the public away from his connection to Columbine. Yeah. Yeah. But I think he's going to get picked up because he runs his mouth too much. And the government can't have that. They're going to have to get him off the street sooner or later, or he's going to blow it for them.
1: Right, right, exactly. They they want to make sure that no one finds out about all this. Yeah. Which is why they've kept you away from us for the last three years, Bill. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep now what is going on with the website cuz that was sort of what started a lot of the inquiries about you from the listeners because uh, it 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 still remains in a state of flux there's still some stuff on there there's other stuff where it's um like gibberish writing that hasn't stuff hasn't been filled in. Yeah, it, let me. It's a mess. Uh, what's, what's yeah, going let on?
0: me detail it pretty quickly. If you read writing that it's hard to read, that's what they call greeking text.
2: Right, right, right. Uh,
0: my website is is pure CSS, and the columns of text will collapse if there's no text in there. So I put the Greek text in there so I can measure how the photos are going to fit in next to it. So if you see. A web page with what you would call gibberish—that's Greek text.
1: Yeah, I knew there was and a term just, for it. I just yeah, it's
0: just it. it's just it's it called greeking the text in graphic design parlance. Yeah, and you do it as filler text. Um, the problem with the website, like I described before, when I was on HostGator, it was a mess. I, I don't blame them specifically. I think somebody was hacking into their server, and they couldn't find it. I I don't think HostGare was involved in any conspiracy against me. They're actually nice people, and uh, they do advertise on a lot of sites and everything, and they give really good deals, but whatever was going on, they were not able to find it, and I just had to get the site off of there. Yeah. Once I got the site off there, it took me a while. Uh, the problem, like I said, is I've had the personal issues. It, it did make me a little bit paranoid. I kinda, I kinda kept my distance from the web, uh, just because of the weird emails I got when I could get emails. Uh, the only emails that seemed to get through were the nut jobs. I couldn't get emails from you, couldn't get them from Visigoth, I couldn't get them from a lot of people and couldn't get phone calls and then had my grandmother die um, I was diagnosed with diabetes type 2 I couldn't figure out why I was getting so sick why I was I'm so sorry. tired you know that was making me paranoid I thought the government poisoned me I really did there for a while yeah. I thought I don't like this I'm too sick and I've never been sick before I can go days without eating and as an actor I was you know trained to do that when you're on a set in a remote location So I thought, what in the world is going on? And I got hit with so many things all at once and people not being able to get through to me. I thought, I knew right away when I wasn't hearing from people and I started calling people and I couldn't get through to them, they couldn't get through to me, I thought, let's let it rest for a while, let the government get obsessed with somebody else because there were things that I never told people over the phone by email that I know about Columbine that I didn't want the government... intercept the information and then come come up with a cover story. I needed, you know, to be able to get it together and then put it out there. And when the Columbine site goes up, it's got to go up all at once. If I do it piecemeal fashion like I was doing it, people will never understand it. They'll say, well, you got the stuff on mind control, but what about, you know, the timeline? How does that fit with mind control? Um, What about this guy that you claim was involved, this firefighter, how does he fit with it?" it? It all has to be done like that at once. And the thing is, is if I hit it at once and I include the government documents and I've got tons of news footage, I've got over 200 hours oh, wow! of these people talking, the parents, the cops, everyone. If I get it all done at once, which, like I said on Facebook, it's definitely going to be up there in the next few weeks because now, you know, I'm 46 years old. I'm not going to be afraid of this government anymore. I'm sick of it. You know, I'm sick of some undercover cops showing up with two-day-old B.O. telling me, you know, oh, you better be careful. I just don't care anymore, you know? Yeah. I'm like, bring it on, cops. Bring it on. Because when you're done with me, then the New World Order's going to bring in the NATO troops and take your ass out, and it's a dog-eat-dog world. <laughs>
1: exactly, yeah.
0: You know, so these cops have got to understand, you know, go ahead and take me out. You're going to be gone five minutes later, you know,
2: Yeah. because yeah.
0: these dirty cops, they know they know a lot of things they're not supposed to know. And somebody's going to come take them out. I know there's cops that have disappeared from Jefferson County, including the cop that arrested Harrison Klebold. Guy just up and disappeared. Weird. Yeah.
1: Now, I'm looking at your Facebook page here now. Have you you tried to contact... Someone asks you this, and I'm not sure if... uh if you mention it or anything, uh, if you respond to them or not, but have you tried to contact some of these other people that were, that you think might have been involved, other, other suspects, if you will?
2: Yes,
0: I have. I talked to a number of them.
1: And what do they say?
0: They give you this attitude of, uh, one kid said, well, try to prove I was involved, and walks off. <laughs> And a couple of the others, um, like I, you know, just some of these other kids are just their at atti- their attitude is like, Ooh, you think I was involved, huh? Then why am I walking the streets? Ooh, you know, just real snotty. Just I mean, these kids have got to have some kind of official cover because, you know, there was too many of them that there was evidence, eyewitness testimony cops making statements that these kids were on the property, these trench coat mafia kids, and they weren't even students there anymore. They had no business being there. I would think if I was somebody like that, I would have disappeared and gone to another country by now. Even if the government put me up to it, to, to cause the Columbine shooting, I would say, you know what? I'm not going to get left holding the bag. The government did this. You know, all I did was carry stuff in. I didn't shoot anybody or or I helped coordinate. I'm getting on the next plane out of here. But yet these kids stick around. Why? Because they they probably have as much on the government as the government has on them. Yeah. And they know that they can get away with anything. And that's why when I talked to them, they always had this snooty attitude, just like when I talked to Joe Steer before he committed suicide, you know. I said, you were a Columbine. You weren't even a student anymore. What the hell were you doing there? Well, oh, was just visiting friends. I said, during a shooting? And he starts laughing. And he goes, oh, you'll never know the whole story, and walks off. <laughs> These dudes are crazy. These people that were involved with Harrison Klebold and if the government trained them, well, actually, I know the government trained them. E- even Alex Jones talked about this. He was reading the statements one day, and they admit that the U.S. Marshal's Office created the Trench Coat Mafia. An investigator was talking to one of the kids, and he says, well, if you want to know about Trench Coat Mafia, talk to my dad. He's a U.S. Marshal. Well, were the Marshal's Office uh uh investigating them? No, they created them. Yeah. And the father admits that. The father admits, yeah, we create. yeah, he says, yeah, me and some other parents created Trenchcoat Mafia. You've got to understand, the Trenchcoat Mafia, for those of your listeners who have been given the media version of the Trenchcoat Mafia, get it out of your mind. Don't listen to the media. Go back to the government documents. Those are the documents that will pinpoint exactly who did what. The Trenchcoat Mafia was never specifically connected to Columbine. That was a, a, a worldwide phenomenon. I've talked to people in Germany that said that there's Americans over there involved in the Trenchcoat Mafia. It's all over the world this Trenchcoat Mafia is, and it was created by the U.S. Marshal's Office. The, the group at Columbine was just one little club of a bigger club called yeah. the Trenchcoat Mafia. But they're all over the world. That's in the documents, it's on the internet. You can go all over the internet and hear people talking about this.
1: Well and what is it exactly? Just like disgruntled kids who are under No, that a lot of it's
0: adults. Not even ah, just okay. kids, it's adults. And they're all gothic. It's a gothic subculture. That are into extreme stuff. Um death, murder, uh they collect autopsy photos, trench coat mafia does, they're into some real sick stuff. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Just weird just a weird group of people.
1: And so you you're, you're the timeline for you to get this stuff onto Columbine dot com. That's that's it's getting closer here. Where would you say yeah. about eighty, ninety percent? I, I want
0: it within the next couple of weeks to a month. That's why I'm staying up late at night. I just I just want it done because I don't know what's gonna happen in this country in the next few months. And I want the record to be out there because there are websites that like the Wayback Machine and others that will go to your website and collect the whole thing and keep it as an archive. Yeah. And that's why I just want it out there because there's no telling what these nuts in the New World Order are going to do. They want to go after Iran. It's the dumbest thing in the world. Yeah. You know? And we could be sitting in the middle of mushroom clouds in the next couple of months. Let's hope it, not. it just it needs to be out there because everyone deserves to see it. I've talked about it for years I have the obligation to give it to people.
1: Well, people are clamoring for it. I know that for sure. I mean, they they write to me. They ask, you know, before I found you, they ask what became of you and what's going on with the website. So, I mean, it's high time that you uh, put this information out there for them because they're they're dying oh, yeah. to read it. Now, is this you've you've mentioned sort of that this is a a book? Is is there going to be an actual physical book available, or is it going to be just online?
0: Uh, this will be both a physical book in fact i've got um my draft copy of the book right here in, in my notebook i'm looking at it right now um i've got a uh, the reason why the book was not out sooner was because of the new information regarding the parents. Um, the timeline issues, uh, plus the fact that the first English professor that I had, I actually worked for her at Red Rocks. Uh, she was warned off by Jefferson County not to have anything to do with my book, not to, you know, to proofread it or anything. I sent a copy to a guy on the Internet who's uh, a master's degree English professor. Um, he just disappeared off the web, and uh, but he had a copy, and he was going to, uh, proofread it and he was gonna charge me like five bucks a page to go in. I said that's fine, you know, go ahead, you know, make sure it's perfect and everything. Disappeared. Um, website down, whole thing. Um so at that point I was like, okay, you know, no more going to these outside people. you know, I don't want anybody to disappear or get killed because of something that I did. So um you know, I'm a graphic designer. I've taken my share of English classes. Um I can proofread it. I can do the grammar thing. That's my thing right now that I'm doing is I'm going page by page. I'm examining grammar. I'm looking at it from a logical standpoint. When I make an argument, does it stand up, you know, under, uh, the standards for writing that we use today for nonfiction? You know, does my argument stand up? Do I supply the documentation? Does it directly correlate to my argument? And I'm going through that. The, the print version of The book should be ready here, I'm hoping, by August. The actual information, the overview of Columbine that includes government documents, my statements of what I think happened, the news footage, which, by the way, I bought that, and I can legally use it. That's why I probably will not get hit like a lot of other websites do, you know, take that down, it's copyrighted. I bought the news footage from CNN, I paid for it, I've got a letter that states that I can use it on my web and in one documentary film, so I'm safe there. Nice. And so that's what you will see on the website. You will see the news footage where a kid says, Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw four guys in black face masks, you know, or um, you know, I don't remember Harrison Cleveland you know wanting to uh kill people, but you know these other guys did, you know, yeah, and uh what was really strange in regards to this uh on the news footage is there was a kid talking, uh David Smith, and he said, yeah, we all knew there were four guys in there dressed in black shooting, and um His mom and dad were there. Well, I ran into his dad here just a couple of years ago, and his dad took off with him. And the mom freaked out. She divorced the dad and took off. And he's an ex-Navy SEAL. And I said, you look familiar. Have I seen you before? And he was in a store, and he goes, I don't know. He says, do I know you? And I said, you look awfully familiar. Were you on the news years ago? And he looked down at the floor, he says, yeah, Columbine. I said, oh, you're the, you're, you're the parent of David Smith, you're the dad. And he goes, yeah. And I said, what did you think about your son's comments? Because I said, when they went to interview him in his written statement, he had disappeared. I said, did you guys get hassle over what he said? And he said, let's go talk outside. So we went outside the store and we stood by his truck. And I won't say what kind of business he runs or anything like that, but his, his name is Eric. Uh, he's an ex-Navy SEAL, and he said, listen, he said, this got real hot for us after my son talked. And he says, I don't like the way things went down. He says, he says, you and I both know Harrison Klebold didn't do that by themselves. They weren't capable of it. He says, I was a SEAL. I was in Desert Storm. I know what you can do with a gun and what you can't. He says, these two idiots carrying four guns and duffel bags full of propane tanks rush to school and do that damage? He says, uh-uh, no, can't be done. And I said, well, what do you think really happened? And he looks around. He said, listen, he said, I was a SEAL. I did some things that you don't talk about publicly. He says, they're in classified records at the Pentagon. But he said, I did stuff like this, and he kind of had tears in his eyes, and he said, I did stuff like this overseas. He says, now, I never killed a civilian and I never killed a child, but we did go into places that were public, and we did take out people, and then later on, the government of that country and the Pentagon said, oh, it was just some terrorist or it was just some bad guy. So he says, I can tell you this kind of stuff goes on because he says, I've done it. But he says, this was not what People think he says that it just, and he says I, I got to keep my son out of it. And he says, please. He says, whatever you do, he says, don't try to find my son. He says, my wife is gone. She divorced me after Columbine. It's it's over. He says, I told you this. He says because I I I I needed to get it off my chest. He says I needed to tell you. And uh, we've had some dealings since then, but, uh, I mean, his son's in an undisclosed location. That's pretty much what he said. But he said, I just, he says, I can never allow you to talk to him. He says there's a lot of parents are that way. He says the kids have been told by the parents not to talk. And we talked a little bit more, and one of the things I asked him, I says, what about the information about Columbine being some kind of community where a lot of guys from the military and, and the CIA and such like retire? And he goes, I know when I retired, he says, I put my job application out for security work. And he said, I had to do it through the Pentagon because of my security clearance. And he says, what came up was a, uh, a, a company down there in unincorporated Jefferson County. And he says, I know that a lot of people that I knew in the military do end up in that community. And he's, and he says, I think it's because they, they like to keep us together. They don't want us going, you know, to live in some place in New York or L.A. where, you know, we're not around the people we know. He says, um, even at, he says, Bill, even after you leave the military, when you've done special ops, he says, they love to keep track of you. They don't want you going off the res. Yeah. Um, and I asked him about the safe community thing and he says, well, I've never heard that term in relation to Columbine. He says, I know that communities like that exist. He says, I could be living in one. He says, I don't know, but he says, I don't live there anymore um he says after my son spoke on the news he says we were getting grief not only from the cops but everyone else that didn't want to hear about other suspects yeah and i just felt bad for him i just i i didn't push him any further i just you know wished him and his son well and and let it go at that strange Yeah. The, the whole
1: thing is strange bill yeah. It it's just a it's just an amazing story and uh you know, at the end of the day, I'm just psyched that we could get you back here all on the program because you've been incommunicado, at least, uh, for the BOA listeners and for me for the last three years. And, and I can't express the excitement I, I felt when I first got that response from you on Facebook. And it was like, wow, he's back. Bill Zabel is <laughs> back. So, uh, and, and, and the listeners are thrilled. I've already been hearing from them in the last couple of weeks since I told them that you're around and, and, you know, And they are just absolutely thrilled that you're back on the program. And hopefully it's not going to be another three years before we get an update from you on this whole scenario. And I want to see this stuff get posted soon so we can get you back on the program and really even go further in-depth on the entire Columbine conspiracy once your full research is posted online. So I wish you the best of luck. Godspeed. It's fantastic that you're still around, still plugging away at this, because a lot of us were very concerned about your fate, and uh, I think we can all rest easier now, knowing that William Zabel is still around, and he is fighting the good fight to get to the bottom of the Columbine conspiracy. So thank you for coming back on the
0: show. Uh, Thank you for having me.
1: That does it for this edition of BOA Audio Season 7. Big, big thanks to William Zabel for coming back on the show and giving us so much time as well as amazing insights into the Columbine Conspiracy. If you want to find out more from William Zabel, head on over to his website, www.columbineconspiracy.com. Pretty simple, all one word, columbineconspiracy.com. Check it out. Moving right along now, it's time for BOA Audio Listener Feedback, and we're going to do three fairly large-sized emails here this week on the program, so let's just dive right in. First one comes from Doug in Brooklyn, New York, and here's what he has to say. I have been listening and greatly enjoying your podcast for some time now. I like your interview style and straightforward questioning. I just listened to the interview with Gerard Williams and put that book on my must-read list. Regarding unusual rock formations... There is one in West Orange, New Jersey, where I grew up. It is called Turtle Back Rock. When I was a kid, it was said that the strange grooves in the rock there that give it the turtle shell appearance of its name were carved by Native Americans. As a kid, I never believed it, since the grooves looked like part of the rock. Now they say the grooves formed naturally. I still find this hard to believe, since I have never heard of nor seen similar lines anywhere else. They are very strange indeed, and what the pictures don't show is that every little bit of rock protruding in that area has the same marks. Then, if you just go a short distance away in the same area of the nature reserve, the marks are seen nowhere else. If you are ever in the area just a few miles from New York City, check it out. Best to you, Doug, in Brooklyn, New York. Thank you very much for writing in, Doug. For the folks who are unaware of what Doug is talking about, we read an email from a Listener named Gregor at the end of last week's program asking about strange rock formations in the northeastern part of the United States. So, I guess we can add Turtleback Rock to the list. And if folks want to check that out, just punch in Turtleback Rock on Google and you'll uh, see some pretty cool pictures of this odd rock formation. Thank you, Doug, for writing in. Definitely go out and pick up Gerard Williams' book, it is fantastic. I'm sure you're going to really enjoy reading it here. ...over the course of the summer. Next email comes from Diane in Malmesbury, UK. And here's what she has to say. I was indulging myself with vintage BOA... ...and listened to your Peter Robbins interview from Season 1. He is such a thoughtful and just plain nice guy. And I thought your interview was excellent. Upon your recommendation, I bought the book... ...and decided to contact Peter to tell him how much I enjoyed the interview. Amazingly, he responded back within hours of my email. Now this is really spooky... There is a UFO conference in Woodbridge in June, and Peter and Larry will be there. He, of course, suggested that I try to attend. Well, I've booked the ticket and the hotel accommodation, I have never been to a UFO conference ever, a true esoteric virgin. I am rather looking forward to it. Keep up the great work, Tim. Warmest regards, Diane, in Malmesbury, UK. Diane's email made me feel pretty guilty here, because we definitely should have plugged this event, and now it's coming up this weekend here in Woodbridge, UK. It is the Rendlesham UFO Conference. You can find out more about that at RendleshamUFO.com. Have a good time, Diane, really. That's all I have to say. I think you'll really enjoy it. My first UFO conference was quite the happening. Met a lot of the people you've heard here on the program over the last seven years And one of the people who really stood out, of course, was Peter Robbins, who was just one of the nicest and most down-to-earth people that I met that entire weekend. So you're picking a good conference to kick off your career as an attendee, Diane. And for the folks listening in the UK area, I don't know what the situation is as far as how long it takes to drive places out there, but if you're in the Woodbridge area, head on over to the Rendlesham UFO Conference there, this Sunday, June 17th, and take part in what is surely going to be a fantastic happening. And I've already written to Diane. Hopefully we can get an update from her on her experience at her first ever UFO conference. Once again, thank you for writing in, Diane. And the final email is actually a short one. I kind of misspoke there at the beginning. It is a real quick one. It comes from Stuart, no hometown listed. Here's what he has to say. Boy, your shows. I listen to them on my iPod with earbuds. When you laugh, my ears ring as it is too loud. Anyway, could you lower the laugh volume so I don't have to pull the earbuds out? Thanks, and keep up the good work, Stuart. Another one of those weird sort of emails about the audio foibles of this program. I'll keep an eye on laugh volume, Stuart. I didn't even really think about it, but now that you mention it, they do sometimes constitute quite the peak in the volume. So from here on out, I'll keep my eyes peeled for laugh moments during the program and see if they pop too much for the BOA Audio listeners. Surprisingly, Stuart, you are the only person who's written to me about this after all these years. So hopefully it is not just something that many people have sort of gritted their teeth about and have moved on from and figured that it's never going to change. Stuart, stepped up to the plate and uh, issued his complaint regarding the laughter. Anyone else experiencing that, please let me know, and I'll make it even more of a critical issue and something that I should keep an eye on for future programs. That pretty much wraps up BOA Audio Listener Feedback here for this installment of the program. I should mention that I am, once again, way behind on my email inbox. There are tons of people that I still have not responded to If you're out there and you wrote to me so far here in 2012 and you haven't gotten a response, I will definitely get back to you. I was digging through my inbox today and was just shamed to see that there are a lot of folks out there that I did not get back to, dating all the way back to like December of 2011. So I owe a lot of people email responses, and I'm going to do my best to sit down and lock down on that sometime in the next couple of weeks and really clean out the inbox, and get responses out to all the great folks out there who have reached out to me. With that said, if you would like to reach out to me for a future installment of BOA Audio listener feedback or just have some correspondence you'd like to share regarding the program, there are a number of ways to do so. You can write to boaaudio at hotmail.com. Or head on over to binallofamerica.com, of B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America and click the contact button. And of course the final method of the big trifecta is to join up at the official BOA forum, the US of e.com dot com, And if you can't put together all those ridiculous letters, just head on over to Banal of America and click the forum button. We like to call the U.S. of E. BOA's Paranormal Playground. Lots of discussion on the world of esoterica as well as pop culture and a great group of folks there as well having lots of fun conversations. Head on over to the U.S. of E. and join up. It would be great to have you as part of our virtual community. And, of course, I would be remiss if I did not mention my presence on the various social network sites. So head on over to Twitter and or Facebook and punch in BINNALL, B-I-N-N-A-L-L. That will bring my profile up. Feel free to befriend me, follow me, or poke me. It's all good, and I'd be happy to have you as part of my online circle of friends. Just approved a ton of friend requests on Facebook, so hopefully anyone who's been waiting for their friend request to be accepted, has had that taken care of. Much like the email inbox, though, I am even worse with Facebook messages. So if you send me a message on Facebook, just keep bugging me, and I will definitely get back to you, because these things, I don't care for the Facebook email function thing. It's terrible. It's just, things disappear in there. It's just not very well designed. So people who send me messages on Facebook, sometimes these things slip down like five pages and I never get back to them. So if that's the case, just get back to me once again and I will try my best to respond to your correspondence. And rounding out the methods of contact, we also have the Banal of America page on Facebook. So if you want to get some exclusive insights into the program and website, head on over there, punch in Banal of America, or just get on the link via my profile page, and like us on Facebook. Since we've been plugging it here, the likes have continued to increase, and I'm going to try and keep putting up some new exclusive materials on the Facebook page for folks who have liked us. So please head on over to Facebook and like Banal of America. Up next, please allow me to thank the esteemed and infamous BOA staff, Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna. Richard Thomas, Marla Pena, Bruce Pretty, Tony Morrill, and our webmaster Jeremy Boston. Lots of new stuff at Banal of America. Since the last time you've heard from me, we've got an all-new piece from Marla Pena making her triumphant return to BOA with her column, Shadow of the Shinigami, this time around titled, Ghostly Tales from My Family. Chilling stuff from Marla Pena. It is great to have her back at BOA. Additionally, we've got an all-new piece from Tony Morrill in his Fortean Ramblings column. This time around, looking at fire starters. Tremendous stuff from Tony Morrill. You definitely want to get over to BOA and read that piece from him, titled, We Didn't Start the Fire. Just really amazing material there as well. Plus, we've got an all-new edition of The Paranormal Apostate by Bruce Pretty that is locked and loaded and ready to go at BOA. And I'm sure we'll have some new pieces up from the veteran columnists of Banal of America, Leslie and Regan and Tina Senna and Richard Thomas, very, very soon as well. We say it weekend and week out, my friends, but it is the truth. If you're only listening to BOA audio and you're not reading the columns at Banal of America then you're only getting half the story. B.O.A., make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Now comes the time in the program where I pass the basket around to the hardcore B.O.A. audio listeners who are still tuning in here at the very end of the program. Here it is, episode number 200. I was going to sit down and try and figure out exactly how many guests we've had in all these years and all these episodes, but I just never got around to it. But trust me, folks, it is a myriad of guests, and as noted numerous times here on the show, 200 episodes. I couldn't even begin to calculate how much this whole program has cost me in the long run, but thankfully, many, many, many BOA Audio listeners have stepped up over the years to help us out. And this time around, once again, we're turning to you and asking you to help us out. How do you do that? That's simple. You head on over to banalofamerica.com and click the PayPal button. It's right there on the left hand side of the screen. That'll take you to PayPal. They'll walk you through the process. It is safe, secure, and simple. But if you don't trust the internet and you want to make a donation via snail mail, you can do that as well. By writing to Tim Binall, B I N N A L L, P O Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass 01866. And you spell Pinehurst, P I N E H U R S T. You can find the complete address also at Benall of America right under the PayPal button. And of note, If you send us a donation to the P.O. Box, please make it payable to Tim Banal and not Banal of America, since my bank will not honor those donations. And please include some means of correspondence so I can get back to you, and thank you for helping out the BOA franchise. As always, no donation is too small, and all donations go towards Banal of America and BOA Audio to help keep the entire operation up and running freely available and commercial-free for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. On the next edition of BOA Audio, we are going to finally delve into the world of UFOs once again. Stunningly, it's been quite some time since we've covered what was once a staple of the program, the UFO Phenomenon. And this time around, we're definitely going to look at it from a different angle. Our guest is Sean Cotts. He is the director of the film Strange Country, a different kind of UFO documentary, which is all about this UFO flap in Whiteville, Virginia, which really left a lot of people puzzled and tore one man's life asunder, leaving many more questions than answers in its wake. I can't tell you too much more about it because I haven't edited the episode yet, But it is a fascinating conversation, really not so much about the lights in the sky, but what happens to someone when they get whipped up into a UFO flap. And it is really troubling, it is eye-opening, it is heartbreaking at times, and scary as well. So I think people are really going to enjoy it quite a bit. Sean Cotts, the maker of Strange Country, a different kind of UFO documentary. That's next time on BOA Audio. And on that note, we close the book on this edition of the program. Big, big thanks once again to William Zabel for making his triumphant return to the program. Big thanks to Doug, Diane, and Stuart for writing in for BOA Audio listener feedback. And, of course, enormous thanks to all you folks out there, the hardcore BOA Audio listeners, the folks who have been with us from Episode 1, and even the folks who just started tuning in at episode 199. You guys are the best. It has been quite a ride, and the ride continues onward, my friends. Here's to 200 more episodes, 200 more after that, and another 200 after that, and beyond. Thank you for your unending support of this program. Without you guys, this would be such a difficult job, but you make it so much fun your tireless encouragement of BOA really is humbling and something that I truly, truly appreciate. Thank you once again for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off.